We are I. Alright everybody, welcome to another edition of We Are I. We're sitting down here with Chuck. Chuck's a, an amazing guy. This is going to be charged and full of energy because we're, this is a couple guys sitting around talking shop and we're super passionate and you know, what we were just talking about right now was, was flying helicopters because as Chuck and I kind of get to know each other, I just told him that I originally moved out to BC to learn how to fly. So uh, we're just going to kind of kick it off there. We thought, what a perfect way to be able to start this podcast. So uh, yeah, what were we talking about? Uh, flying four or 500 feet off the ground is kind of yeah, where we ended off. Yeah, uh, flying helicopters. So I always would, I, I wanted to, to get a, a license to fly a helicopter when I was younger. I never had the money. But I figured it would, even having a job where you were dusting fields, you know, crops would be cool. And then moving your way up once you had some money saved to start a company, a sightseeing company, you know, uh, flying around the mountains, flying around Whistler, you know, in BC, you've got, it's so beautiful here. You could be flying anywhere Absolutely. and tourists are going to come and pay to take a look and see what, what they can see. See, then, you know, based on, like, why do you think that there's actually so few helicopter companies in BC that do it? Like, that's the part that I find to be ironic because it's obviously, it's crazy expensive to, you know, like, I was looking at doing um, that glacier kayaking Yeah. in the springtime, and I was like, man, that shit's, like, two grand, you know, to be able to, like, get everybody outfit and you go out and, you know, you know, yeah, it's amazing, but I'm like, that's just, it's, I wonder if that's the barrier, but there's a lot of people who come to BC that have lots of money to spend. I think the problem with those kind of things are the cost is really high, so there's not any room to make any money. And even if you do something you love, which is fantastic, you still need to pay the bills. Absolutely. So to, to be able to have enough people on a regular basis who can come and, and fill your slots so you can go and do your work consistently enough that you can pay all your bills, it's really difficult. And you know, and with that too, is because it kind of isolates you in like certain markets too. If you want to do sightseeing or, you know, like, you know, dropping guys in the backcountry for fishing or hunting, it's totally different helicopter that you'd have for like forestry and forest fires and all that kind of stuff. I agree. And, you know, like to be able to, you know, buy like a, like a 212 or 214 to fight forest fires, you're talking just millions of dollars. It's kind of tough to be able to start there, right? But that's where the government contracts are, you know, which where the money is and you could actually make some money, you know, all those kind of chips away at it and stuff. But it is truly amazing though. Like like flying rotary is, it's amazing. Oh, I can only imagine. I've actually never been in a helicopter, you got but it, it's, it's on my bucket list for sure. You know, the easiest way to be able to do it is go to one of these flight schools and do the test flight because then you'll actually get the controls. You know, it's not that expensive. They they do it as a way to be able to kind of spark your interest in whether or not that you want to do it. And uh, it's amazing, yeah. You know, because they'll they have dual control, so the the instructor still has control yes. over the helicopter too. Yes. Um. You know, but when I was flying, like after I got about 50, 60 hours in, we started doing some like real technical flying where you know we'd be in the the back country and we'd land on bridges or side sloping or wow. you know we do long lining, but. Uh, my instructor was super cool. I remember some of the times in uh, in the summer, we used to throw the golf clubs on, because I flew out of Abbotsford. We'd throw the golf clubs on the helicopter, fly out to Chilliwack, land at the golf course, 
shoot nine holes, 18 oh. holes, and fly back. <laughs> you know, but, like, also in the summer, like, we would fly deep into the backcountry, you know, like, north of Harrison. Yeah. We'd land on some beach somewhere and hang out, or, you know, when I was flying around by myself, you know, you, as long as you put it in your flight plan that you were going to be gone for X amount of time yeah. and, you know, nobody else really needed the helicopter, yeah. like, you could go. It, 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 was, it was brilliant. Oh, you know, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. That is awesome. So you're you have you're not born and raised in BC then? No, so Alberta. You're, you're from Alberta. Oh, yeah. so that's not too far of a hop, skip, and a jump. No, but you know, I was 18 when I moved out here to go. Oh high wow! So, yeah, it was it was crazy, you know, because like I grew up on a farm, and then when my parents got divorced, you know, eventually our farm got sold. But in my mind, I just never thought I wasn't going to be a farmer. Yeah. You know, but. Where my dad was a farmer, my family were farmers, my mom was huge in the fitness industry. So, uh, you know, like my mom, she was that woman on, you know, like Channel 3, put it on at 7 o'clock in the morning that's doing like step aerobics oh, class. Oh, wow, ahead of her time. Morning. Yeah, it, it was cool. And, you know, she would teach class at the, the YWCA, like, you know, 50, 60 women in there just, you know, going crazy. She had her own fitness clothing line and all that kind of stuff. So that's where, like, my fitness comes wow. into it. Wow, your mom really sounds like a – that's almost like a pioneer. Yeah, she was awesome. Like, And, you know, like, she used to teach spin classes way back, like, old school spin class. I have, like, um, like cutouts of the newspaper of her, like, you know, when they put published articles about her teaching all these, yeah. like, crazy classes and stuff. So it was cool. That's, that's what connects me with, like, this fitness environment. And the one thing I love about BC is – you know, because my then dad was also the opposite of that. We were outside, like, fishing, hunting. Yeah. We, like, for three, four weeks in the wintertime, he'd take us out of school, and, you know, we'd go hunting in the backcountry. Oh, and, you wow. know, like, I grew up – and this is the funny thing about, like, helicopter parenting now is, you know, like, yeah. I remember my dad. I look back, and I'm like, damn, I'm like, you were brave. But, you know, he'd just say, go on around. Yeah. You know, like, and I would have mountain ranges yeah. at, like, seven, eight, nine years old just to wander around on and. You know, there's a couple of hairy situations, yeah. but you always kind of find your way back. I feel like you have this this beacon, like naturally inside of us, when we're put in a natural environment that kind of just pulls you back to where you should be. Yes. You know, and you kind of look at it like how people are like migrating. You know, maybe kind of like east to west. You know, back in the pioneer days, is they must have had some kind of feeling in that that I'm going the right way. Because think when you're crossing the Rockies, how easy it would have been able to get lost. And, and some people did, but a lot of people didn't. And that may be actually something that is impl implanted into our fabric of being a homo, uh, homo sapien. Yep. Because of the migrations going back from the beginning of, of, of man from Africa. And as uh, they moved up towards the north and then, you know, over the thousands and thousands of years, they, they were always migrating for food. And that's maybe something that it stays within us. So when we're, you know, 100 years ago or 150 years ago, you're living in the East and everyone wants to migrate towards the West. It's just a natural instinct. Yeah. You know, that's where prosperity is. Well, and, you know, and it's back in all those times when we actually had a real fundamental, like people had daily fundamental connections with like the earth, the planet, the soil, the food. And it's only now that we're so heavily urbanized that, you know, we've really steered away from that. It, you know, where we have that fundamental connection with Earth, it you know, it also goes back to the, you know, really a big part of why we're sitting here today about like nutrition and, you know, like exercise and all that kind of stuff because, you know, where we're in these urban societies now is, you know, we're losing such that connection with our food that I feel like we lose all these beacons inside of us that just make us go outside and, you know, find uncharted territory and try and explore new foods because, you know, I was trying to say what, what astonishes me about, you know, things like ancient Chinese medicine and, you know, like all these products that, you know, have been passed down from generations to generations. And, you know, like in my culture, for example, it'd be like beet kvass, you know, like fermented beet juice. Yes. You know, like we know how healthy these things are now, but they did all these things with zero research. There was no scientists. There yeah. was no labs. There was no 
trials and clinical testing. Yeah. It was just like, we know this shit is healthy. Just go drink it. Exactly. You know, like we know this is healthy. Just get your ass outside. Yeah. yeah you know, like 100%. all these things, but it's like, you know, we, we steer away from that. Like, you know, all these, like again, ancient Chinese medicine or, you know, like, you know, indigenous medicine, you know, anything like they, the they've known for so like thousands of yeah, years, that, yeah. like all these things that are so beneficial to us where then we one day we're like, well, we know so much better. You know, and it's nice that we're starting to come back to it because I feel it's going to be – make us more socially responsible to each other and also to our planet. You know, like recycling and, you know, 100%. green cars and like all this kind of stuff. Yeah, too, right? well, everything is going towards electricity now. Yeah. And uh, and, and speaking as far as um, going back to how we instinctively know, the Vikings were traveling by, by boat all over the planet before there was a compass. Now, a lot of, like, say, Christopher Columbus and those travelers, they used the, the stars and the moon to travel. But the Vikings traveling up around Finland and those areas, they couldn't use any of that because uh, the skies were so cloudy, you couldn't see the stars. So to this day, they wonder, well, how were the Vikings able to maneuver around the planet knowing where they were going when they had no compass, they had no stars to follow, they didn't have, like, the moon? How do they know which direction they're going and how they do it? Yeah. And um, I'm sure that they, they they may have figured it out by now, the science. I haven't read anything on it yet. But it's very interesting to me that such a long time ago, you get in your boat with your team and you're like, okay, hey, this is where we're going to go find new land. You know, but, you know, it brings up a good point. Like, even if even if you've seen every star, I look up and I'm like, shit, I have no idea. Oh, I would be. There's no way. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky like, enough I can continue to find a Big Dipper. Well, that, that's what I mean. So, like, when people talk about how all these, you know, culture, whether they did or didn't use the stars, could or couldn't see them or anything, but they use systems, like, or some kind of system yeah. that, you know, when I look at it now, I'm like, man, I'm, like, how did somebody figure all that out? Yeah. And maybe if you sat in your geographical location, like if, say, like, yes. I'm sitting in Langley right now, okay, well, these stars always kind of look like this. I'm going to map it out for five years. Okay, this is a consistent yeah. pattern. But they used that and went all around the, the world. The globe. It's nuts to me. It is. Yeah. You know, and that's where I feel like, you know, we kind of went through a big point in time where we really regressed intellectually. And then we came into this point where we thought we were so intellectually advanced, but the wheels came completely off the bus, you know, like <laughs> yeah. big pharma, you know, processed yes, foods and all that kind absolutely. of stuff. Yeah. And then now it's kind of like, okay, well, let's get back to all these things about how we evolved. Like if these things weren't sound tools, we would never be here today. Yeah. Like legitimately, even if like you're talking about North America, we wouldn't be here, but you know, humanity of these tools were so broken, we would never be here. It's just like uh, a little bit off topic, but not really. Uh, this, nowadays, fasting, intermittent fasting is, is becoming more and more popular and more people are doing it. And it's strange for a lot of people to think that eating one or two meals a day is a much healthier way to live than your standard three or four meals a day. But if you look back, you know, if you're going to go look back, say, 50,000 years or even farther, our ancestors, they maybe had a few meals a day or a few meals a week because food wasn't so abundant. You, you took down a mammoth, you fed the whole clam for a few days, and that was it. It wasn't readily available. So if, if our ancestors are able to survive on two or three meals a week, let's say, we are here. So it's proof that that's the way to go. Well, that, you know, know, like genetically, like we wouldn't have any of these systems that only get triggered 
through, you know, times like, you know, fasting, whether it's like intermittent fasting daily or, you know, 24 hour, 40 hour, hour fast or a week long fast, they don't get triggered in any other way except for fasting or being in a fasted state and they're incredibly beneficial to our body. Yeah. So if it wasn't something we were supposed to do, like, like everybody knows there's no refuting that our bodies are just a marvel of engineering. So why would it create this system to be able to do this and maintain it? Because we know that the body eliminates things, you know, like muscle tissue, cardiovascular strength, like everything. When it doesn't need it, the body's like, nope, done. I got all this other yeah. shit going on. I'm not going to do this anymore. But fasting and the benefits of fasting has always stayed. Like our body wants to hold on to that at yeah. a genetic level saying like, I'm not going to change this because it's so beneficial to me. I have to keep this system around. I just have to somehow try to convince people that we need to activate this again. Yes, absolutely. When the body gets into a starvation mode, is when all the good things in your body start happening. You start to uh, develop autophagy, and uh, with which is basically the eating of the old cells and the renewal of new cells, stem cells. So when the body gets in a mode where it's uh, you know near, near death, that's when all the good stuff is happening inside the body as a defense mechanism to stay alive. It, it's I mean it the the human body is a marvel. Absolutely, you know, and, and the big thing is too like even. Even if fasting didn't have any legitimate benefit, you know, we're overeating in general. But the the problem is the overeating just shit food, you know, and I don't think there's any refuting that now. Like, it's just there's too much science behind it. You know, like we went way off in the wrong direction. And, you know, there's a problem with overeating good food, but there's even a bigger problem with overeating bad food. 80, 80 I would say 80 to 90 percent of the food that you would find in a grocery store is bad for you. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, when I was walking through the grocery store. If there was only food that legitimately was beneficial to you in a grocery store, how small they would be. They'd be tiny. Like, I wonder when grocery stores became so big. I, I can't, I don't believe that grocery stores always have been like 40,000. No, no, feet. they couldn't have been that. They couldn't have been that. I think that before the grocery store, it was uh, like a, the mom pop store, which was basically probably filled with tons of vegetables some fruits and uh, meat. Yeah, like the butcher next door to the bakery next yeah. door to the vegetable stand. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, kind of just like walked down, and everybody had like the best of what they had. Cause they wanted, mean, they had they had pride in their names, they had pride in their product, and you know now like I went uh, to Safeway a few weeks ago, and I got these Granny Smith apples, and they're just sitting on the fruit stand. You know, they're hanging out, and all of a sudden, one of them started, started to change like this weird red color that. And it was also kind of, almost kind of like bumpy or whatever. On the I'm like, yeah, I've never <laughs> seen that before. And all of a sudden, all the apples started doing it. And I'm like, these have some kind of bacteria or oh, disease yeah. or something on it. Yeah. And could you imagine like 75 years ago or 100 years ago being like a little mom and pa store and that happened? You'd be horrified. Oh, absolutely. your name, your reputation, your family's name would be on the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, if, if you're talking about... Uh, local produce that is not shipped from the other side of the planet, which isn't sprayed with tons of insecticides and pesticides, the the lifespan is probably greatly reduced. So when it gets on the shelf, you know you have three or four days to to, to sell your product before it starts to go bad. So it's not like now where they can have stuff shipped in and it can sit there and look brand new and shiny for a week or two. Well, you know, a classic example of that now is, you know, with avocados being so big because keto diet and all that yes. kind of stuff, like, you know, you could have an avocado on your counter for like a week or two sometimes and 
it doesn't ripen at all. Yeah. I'm you terrible know? at shopping for avocados. I either buy them that are super hard yeah. or I try to feel the soft ones. And when I get them home and I yeah. open them or I cut them open, they're no good. Yeah. Yeah, I find it what I, I just go with the super hard ones and you kind of just like, you know, over the course of time, they <laughs> just, ripen up, you get them a little, little squeeze, you know, it's just like, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I think this one is good, you know, they kind of start to finesse your system a little bit there, but. Uh, I hadn't eaten avocados when I was younger, I didn't eat them, and uh, I, my first time purchasing avocados, I bought a bag, and I brought them home and they were all hard, and I thought. That, that's what they're supposed to be like. So <laughs> I remember try, so trying to cut it open and peel it, and then I ate it, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. All the talk, this is terrible. Yeah, I can't even get it out of the skin. <laughs> yeah, like, do I, I peel was, this shit or do I cut it, it off? It was like, terrible. And then yeah. I happened to be at someone's house, and, were, and I'm like, why is this so, yours is so good? And I explained to the person why, what mine were like. And they're like, well, you know, you're eating them when they're ripe. You have to eat them when they're ripe. Yeah. You're eating them before they're ready to go. I did feel pretty stupid, but it was it was a good, good Learning information. Learning experience, right? It was good information to learn, that's for sure. You know, the, the kind of actually brings me up to like a good intro into this. You know, just because you have, you have so much experience in, you know, like the bodybuilding industry, like nutrition and, you know, diet and stuff. Like, yeah. what, what's some of the crazy shit that you've done over the years? Oh, you know, just, you, you've been to, through it all. Uh, getting ready for, because I started, I started training in 1985. So my first contest was 1989. And a friend of mine at the gym was like, there's a, there's a fair going on in North Dakota. And I was living in Winnipeg. So it was a two hour drive. He said, uh, they're having a bodybuilding, they're having a bench press competition and a bodybuilding show. So I'm going to do the bench press competition and Chuck, why don't you go and do the bodybuilding show? I said, okay, sounds good. Bodybuilding so, is pretty new back in the... Oh, it was very new. It was too. much different. It was much different. So for the, for, um, for the, sh for the dieting, you know, we were doing stuff like putting, t you know, two cans of tuna in uh, your blender with water oh, and blending it up and then drinking it like it was the, some of the stuff was terrible and back then there, there really wasn't much for protein powder yeah it was like egg albumin it was t uh, very hard to to blend it was chalky and it was terrible and uh, you, you did mostly tuna and rice that was that was the big thing which nowadays no one eats tuna you know, like, yeah, you know, it's you pretty, know. pretty old school. People are still down in like can for can of tuna. Yeah, pretty, I don't know anyone who's much, drinking right? it anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I only gag is one time, you know, back when I first moved out to, to BC, I put a chicken breast and, you know, broccoli and um, rice in a blender. Just thinking of like, you know, I'm, I'm sure this wouldn't taste that bad. Like one drink into that, and it was just, yeah. it was not, no, not yeah. happening. You're I couldn't imagine you're tuna. Like, that would just be you're terrible. Like, never again. It's the kind of thing where you can only do it if your end game is till you want to look a certain way. Yeah. You need to have a pretty powerful motivator. That's a lot to of drink, grit, though. Tuna and a lot water. of grit, man. Yeah. You know, you sure. need to be thinking, you know, I, I'm doing this, but in the long run, I'm going to look pretty fantastic. Yeah. You know, so it's worth the drink. But Would it's you still have hard. known that at that point in time? Like, had you, had you gone through a dieting cycle? Because with it being so fresh in your first show, it's like you would have really had to buy into those shakes. I like had to. Oh, yeah. that time, I was right? just doing what I was told. You know, and, and I was uh, 19 at the time, and um, I had I didn't know almost anything except for what I read 
in muscle and fitness or the flex magazines or a few of the guys at the gym who are a little bit older than me they told me this is the way to do it this is what you got to do you have some chicken potato oatmeal your egg whites and tuna and if you want to get extra protein in fast put the tuna in a blender because we're eating tuna right out of the can yeah which is cut to the chase right that's what this industry just, is all yeah, about right just driving down the it. road eating a chicken breast out of a ziploc bag and yeah everything yeah. was cold you know what i mean it was uh it was really harsh compared to nowadays. Could you imagine what those old flex magazines say, or like any of those old bodybuilding magazines? If you're reading them now, just like the information that would be in there, based on like what we know to be, it would be so outdated. You know, and it's just amazing. It's natural part for the course of life, right? It's just it'd be interesting to know, like you know, all the shit that you guys went through in your bodies and yeah. like the torture you put yourself through to be able to get there. And and for bodybuilding too, back in the day, it was always about. Um, if you're not suffering during your diet, you're not doing it right. That is true. And you, that was actually you know, relevant even to about 10 years oh, ago. Oh, absolutely. There's even some guys now who competed in the 90s that were big in the IFBB and in pro bodybuilding that will say that, you know, nowadays uh, the guys don't look as good because they don't want to suffer so much. They don't want to put their bodies to, they don't want to eat, you know, white fish every single day six times six times a, a day uh, for six weeks you know what i mean they're adding this they're adding that they're kind of cutting corners and with the shakes now they're having the shakes you know and back in the day they weren't doing that they would have fish white fish six times a day do you looking back on it like do you see a difference in the way people's bodies looked you know back then versus now or all huge difference yeah especially in the midsection like you know, like like tighter, more density, more striations, or um, just like thicker fiber. Like it, it's definitely a thicker fiber. The, the the guys now are enormous. Like they're much larger, much larger. Uh, the, the guys now may be a little bit leaner, but there's really no the, the the separation in the muscles is not very deep as opposed to if you go back to the guys in the nineties, the waists were much smaller. Uh, they seemed to be a little more in proportion. They weren't so obsessed with uh, just getting as massive as they can. Like nowadays, some of the guys that are competing, like it's a huge freak show. There's guys that are 290 pounds. Yeah, stepping on stage at that weight, that's just horrendous. Unbelievable. It's like it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's a testament to what these guys are doing day in and day out in the off season and prepping for a show. Like, it's a crazy lifestyle. Absolutely. You need to be a little bit cuckoo to put your body through that just for, just so so you can attain a certain look. And as far as professional sports go, bodybuilding is at the low end of the financial return. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, You're spending money on it. You're not making money. Yeah, there's, there's very few people 1%, making 1%, I would say, of the professional bodybuilders, bodybuilders are making good money. Well, and you know, and, you know, even to look at that, if it's 1%, so, you know, like for most people who may not even understand, like like 1%, you're just talking about like a handful of guys. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, you're not talking like 1% equals like a thousand dudes. No, like, no, You're talking no, about no, like no. a handful of guys. But then as we know with this Ronnie Coleman, you know, documentary coming out, well, even if you made a shit ton of money, living like that and having to use all that money to be able to spend all these treatments to try to be able to correct yeah. all this training over the years, like – you need that money. Like you, you need Absolutely. millions of dollars to try to get your body back to a point where like you just wanted to get out of bed every day. Absolutely. It, it's pretty uh, – I mean if you're going to compare Ronnie Coleman who was 
most people call him the king of bodybuilding. He was massive. He, his look was so ahead of everyone, and he was just so freaky. And he was so strong, too. He trained so heavy all the time compared to someone like, say, Kevin Lavroni, who was also a top contender. He came in fourth. He came in second four times in the Mr. Olympia. And uh, they're both the same age. And Kevin Lavroni, if you see him now, he looks unbelievable. And then you have Ronnie Coleman at the other end, at the other end of the spectrum, and he's had like eight back surgeries. And you know, and it always goes back to like the principle, you know, and I don't know if you believe this, but I, I'm a third believer in it, that, you know, like lifting heavy weight doesn't necessarily make you big. You know, like, you know, like you don't have to lift the heavy weight to be able to get that portion. And, you know, like that's a classic example of, you know, like you have Ronnie Coleman who just, he was like the king of like, no matter how much weight you have, I'm doubling down. If you're yeah. squatting 800, I'm going 900, you know, like, yeah. but like, look what it did to his body. Like, yeah, he, you know, he gained some size, you know, but like, you're talking about like a, a one-off person, and I'm sure looking back on, there's no way that you'd think it would be worth it. Uh, yeah, ex absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm sure if you uh, ask ten people, nine out of ten would say no thanks. Yeah. Because it's one thing to have these kind of problems when you're in your 70s, but he's 51 years old. Yeah. Like I'm 49, and I I don't consider myself old by any means, and I consider myself like I have a lot of, I still want to do in my lifetime. But I couldn't imagine have gone going through eight surgeries for my back, you know, and and thinking this is where I'm at 50. What's going to happen in 10 years from the now? From now, is it, am I going to be better or is it going to get worse? Or when is the point where like your your physical and your mental and emotional state gets so bad that even though you don't really have a reason, you just want to pack it in anyway? You know, like because yeah. like you said, you know, people go through these problems later on in life, but most people in their 70s maybe a candidate for a back surgery or a hip surgery. Absolutely. Like maybe, and maybe one, you know, like worst case scenario, like two, you know, but like looking with like, and those are just his back surgeries. That's not even like the knees yeah. and the hips and like all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, you know, like you said, being at 51, how many more surgeries is he going to go through? And then each one of those surgeries, you're not going to recover as fast. And then, then you're going to have to start going through like intravenous stem cell treatments and recovery to just be able to recover from your recovery. You know, like yeah. just where does that, where does that end? Yeah. And you know, I, I mean, I, I love bodybuilding and I've loved it my whole life and I enjoy the whole process. But when you beat your body down for 25 or 30 years, it's, it's tough. I mean, Lou Frigno has had two hip replacements and two, two knee replacements. And we're not going to compare Lou Frigno's training as, as heavy as, what Ronnie Coleman did, you know, uh, some, some people, their bodies are able to, uh, take the abuse, you know, and other people, there's no way after 20 years there, you know, you have a lot of pain, a lot of joint pain. You, you know? know, that's just, you know, cause you know, we're also talking for, you know, people might not know, like, like these guys, they're, they're like world-class champions. Like they're not yeah. just like amateurs and stuff. No, so, no, you know, no. when you're talking like people are pushing the bar, but that also means everybody along the way, it's, it's very comparable to, you know, NHL athletes or NFL where like people are going to get injured. They're going to go absolutely through, you know, like their surgeries and all that kind of stuff. However, when you're getting, you know, like Lou, you know, made some money, you know, making movies and all yes. that kind of stuff. But yeah. again, it always comes back to if you are going to beat your body down like that, it'd be nice to have some kind of financial reward. hundred percent. And, you know, the the funny thing that I always look back with the bodybuilding industry, I find the irony, it's like college sports. You know, like people are riding off the backs, making money off people who are, you know, basically literally killing yeah, themselves the for entertainment. Yes. Not making 
any money. They're I getting know. exploited 100%. 100%. And look what people do with all these professional bodybuilders. They glorify them. They're yeah. in magazines. A lot of people don't know. Like some bodybuilders in like, you know, male, female, any category that you're in, they pay to get in those magazines for exposure yes, because, you know, they want to promote their personal training or their supplement line or, you know, yeah. things like that. But they're exploited just as much because they're they're icons for fitness. Yeah. But they don't get paid for it. I know. It's pretty. It's, uh, it's pretty messed up. And I mean, I get every sport is going to have its ups and downs. Like you have now, if you're in the NHL or in the the NFL, and you are making large amounts of money, and that's, that's you know, not everyone in the NFL is making big Tom Brady money. There's only maybe three or four guys in a league that are making crazy cash. Like a lot of those guys in a team, they're only making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And, you know, the risk of CTE is, is always there. You know, uh, so at the, at the end of the day, hopefully, you know, if, if you're unlucky and, and you do have the concussion syndrome, you've got some money put away, you know, which is not always the case in every sport. Well, that, you know, because you're also trying to keep up with the lifestyle too, right? You know, like where, you know, there are some people who do it smart, but staying, staying humble at such a young age with, you know, all the money and the fame it's hard. and the girls and the cars and all, like, you know, a lot of people criticize professional athletes, but, you know, but like, we don't walk in their shoes. Man, if somebody, when I was 17, 18 years old, be like, hey, sign this two, $3 million contract, you know, even if you're getting paid a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, and you're in your early 20s and you're going out to the club and this like yeah. like come on man Driving like anybody's gonna, yeah man anybody's gonna get sucked into how that. can you how can you you know make fun of or belittle uh you know some 19 year old kid who's playing in the nhl and he's you know maybe a little bit he's acting like a 19 year old kid you know he's got a bank full of money he's got the world at the palm of his hands he's just beginning his professional career He's going to be arrogant. He's going to make mistakes. I mean, it's going to happen. If someone gave me a contract for $500,000 when I was 18 or 19, I don't even know if I would have made it uh, the whole year. Well, that, you know, just imagine like the, you know, because obviously like we know that, you know, playing sports kind of boosts the confidence and the ego and stuff anyway. But then when you get to that level where you're getting all this recognition nationally, internationally, you yeah. play sports, so the ego goes up a little bit again. Then that $500,000 payday yeah. comes in and stuff. Then everybody wants to be a friend to be around. Girls are throwing in like and every- these phone calls around. It's just like how the wheels – like if your frontal cortex isn't developed until you're 25 and this is – you're talking five, exactly. six, seven years before yeah. that. How are you ever going to deal with that properly? But people are just like, oh, look what he did. Like, oh, I wouldn't be like that. It's like all the, the couch warriors. Are I, like, I would have caught that pass. <laughs> oh, I could have knocked that motherfucker out. I you know, know, like, it's just I like, know. shut your I know. mouth. Every, and no, you, you know wouldn't. what? The kid has got everyone around him telling him how amazing he is, you know, and, and not how just great for he is. Yeah, probably for like the last 15 well, years course, to get to eat. By, by the time he gets to the big leagues you know he's already been a big fish his whole life yeah you, you you don't you don't swim in mediocrity and then all of a sudden boom i'm a big star you're a star at every level that you're going up the ladder so people have been telling you your whole life you're amazing you're going to be great you're going to be huge you're going to be famous you're going to be rich you're going to be a superstar you know and and, and maybe not even in one sport there's a lot of yeah. athletes who are multi-sport awesome athletes you too, know right? i gotta tip my hat to any athlete who has come up the rank and let's not forget this is not just luck like these people are playing 
their training, whatever their sport of choice is, hours and hours a day after day after day after day to get to the, the greatness where they make it to the big leagues. And then some of these guys get into the big leagues and they're already at the top of the field. You know, like when someone like Wayne Gretzky gets drafted into NHL, all of a sudden within two years, he's the biggest name in hockey. Like that's unbelievable. You know, you know what like I mean? where what does that mean for somebody though? Like when could you imagine entering an arena like professional sports where you're just at the pinnacle? You know you're at the pinnacle, yeah. but you're already at the pinnacle of that. Where where's the up? Like where do you go? Like when you so it's just, it would have to be just chasing statistics or the, That's the passion that you're It's just like, uh, getting championships. You know, because a lot of other sports, I guess, is kind of like the grudge match, you know, like working your way up saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm putting in my dues. And I guess that's what all the minor hockey is and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, like once you get there, like it just, I, I can't even imagine. I, I would have loved to have been in any kind of form of a professional yeah. athlete. I just, to be able to feel that feel, like I know when we were playing football and we used to go down to Montana and play at some of the, the high school stadiums down there, which to me are like professional outfits. Like it, it, they were incredible. But just standing on those astroturf fields with huge stands and lights, and you could just you could feel great things happening. Oh, you could feel I, the testosterone coming up off the ground, and I'm like, this is just amateur. Like you're talking is, like yeah. high school, and you already feel and, like a rock star. Yeah, you know. When I was 15, um, there was a huge all-star game for for the city for all the teams. And they were scouting all the teams and picking the best player off each team to play in the All-Star game. So I made the team. So they called me and said, okay, Charles, uh, you know, we've picked you. You're going you're gonna to represent your team for the All-Star game. So we had two practices with all the guys. And then the game. And there was about 4,000 people came to watch the game. And we had the specific jerseys. And it was, they rolled everything out. They pulled us on the ice one at a time. And, you know uh called her call her name and numbers out and said what team it represented and it was pretty cool stuff a 15 year old kid and you look back and you're like that is imagine that how you felt on that day at that game and then amplify that by a million to being at the the draft for the nhl or the draft for the nfl or or for professional baseball at 19 years old or 18 years old being drafted you know they're calling your name out the feeling must be incredible. It'd be so imagine. surreal. You know, because yeah. like as you were explaining that, you know, I immediately went back to the connection. I will never forget the moment when I was in grade seven, maybe grade eight. And I walked into the locker room first time, you know, um, it was the first year I started playing football. And all of our stuff got delivered. And, like, my bag was there. My yeah. name was on it. My number was on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and my little my little locker, you know, my name and my number was on it. Like, my, my uh, outdoor jacket, just all my gear. And I was like – but what I was going with this is that there's some people who have, like, never experienced that. You know, know. And we're talking on such a minor level. So, and I'm yeah. telling I will never forget that. Yeah, I know. Ever. You know, I but know. it's just such a shame that, like, every kid can't feel that because – the sense of belonging, the sense of like, I'm a part of this team, I'm special, you know, like there's all this going on, like, you know, people care about, like there's so many things that come along yeah. with that. Like, you know, with you stepping on the ice, you know, yeah. 4,000 people, you yeah. know, like there's a part of you that yeah. know that. 4, and everyone's people. cheering. And, but the, you know, you mentioned it's too bad that not every kid could feel that. But th then you get into, well, if every kid could feel that, then maybe it wouldn't be such a special thing. 
Very true. It's almost like nowadays where they're giving out the the ribbons oh, to the winners. Oh, they got all participation. Yes, ribbons. exactly, exactly. So it's uh, you know it's uh you know it's got its positives and its negatives. Oh, and you know I know I get heavily criticized for it all the time, but I'll burn every single one of those before I'll give one of them to my daughters. There's not a chance. I, I would agree, hundred percent. Like I will never give them a participation no, ribbon. No, ever. Like it's I, just, I don't think it benefits them in the big picture down the road. No. You know, getting something for doing nothing. Yeah. Just just for showing up, you get rewarded. The only time that participation ribbons in sports are ever going to be applicable is when we start handing out universal basic income to everybody to find <laughs> no matter what their, you know, depth of wealth is. Yes, it's absolutely. Like it's, it's like the participation ribbon of life. You know, yeah. like it's the, you know, where there's always like that, that skill is, you know, where if we know that in an athletic environment that we shouldn't give kids participation ribbons now, like we've known this, we've gone through the yeah. cycle of it. We know that it's to their detriment. We know that it doesn't help them. It hinders them from yes, their progress. Absolutely. We know that the science is there now, but then you take that to an income level and you say, okay, well now if we give everybody a universal basic income, that all of a sudden is going to fix the problem. Yeah. But I it's know. the same problem, yeah. but like we just, you know, don't know. get it. You know, yeah. it like, takes the ambition and the driveway because I know for me, like, a part like getting like I ran the ball as a running back, you know, and I would stand there in the backfield. People would be yelling, "I'm gonna fucking murder yeah. you," you know, like <laughs> that's how. But I'm just like, you know, the only thing that made me want to push through that is because yeah. I'm like, there's points at the end of that. Yeah, I made those. I'm gonna feel good because exactly. I'm gonna score those points. But yeah. if I walked, if I got hit like time and time again and just laid out and snot running out of my yeah. nose and my bell rung, but I didn't get a reward crossing that line. Like just you cross that line and. Everybody kind of just went silent. I know. Where's the motivation? That, would, that wouldn't mean anything to me. I know. It wouldn't be worth every hit, but I look back at every every touchdown I scored, you know, and the crowd cheering and all those guys that look like they could have stopped me. Now they got to eat shit because they couldn't. <laughs> you know, like, that feels, oh, it feels good. I still love those moments. Uh, yeah, but, you absolutely. know, like you take that away from, like, I kids and people in life, I right? I think that's human nature. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I really do. You know, and a lot of big thing like with us, you know, with like lifting weights, and especially with the level, you know, that you got to in like the the physical stature you're at, you know, just being able to put more weight on the bar, you know, like yeah. you know, just all these kind of things, you know, stepping on stage and looking that much better. It's yeah. like, do you imagine stepping on stage, putting in all that work, and people are like, meh. Okay, here's your green ribbon. Yeah, and you know? and if everyone got a green ribbon, yeah. can you imagine uh, the guy who is like head and head and shoulders? better than you maybe he's been at it longer you know he's been training for say 10 years and you've been doing it for four years and all the guys in between and when it's all said and done everyone gets the green ribbon and there is no first or place or last place or middle place the, that would be the end of the sport like but you know in that broken system is like the the empathy would come in and saying because you've only done it for four years and this guy's done and you should deserve to be able to have a little bit more of a handicap because <laughs> this guy obviously has a you know a little bit of an advantage over yeah. you he's been doing it longer that's that broken mentality versus just saying like hey in six more years you're going to be at that same place yeah. if you stick with it yeah exactly you know, like that big yeah. drive. But um, again, back to tell us a little bit more about the, the shows and stuff. Like, how many shows you do? Like, where'd you get? Well, um, I've done about 12 shows. So, my first show was 89, and the last show that I had done was 2013. So, five years ago now, just over five years, and in between. So, the, my first few shows that I did, I was placed uh, in the top two for my first four or five shows. And then I qualified, and I had already qualified for nationals, but I had never gone. 
So then I had uh, got a first place at the, the BC Provincials, and then I went to Nationals, and I got my ass kicked. Like, I think there was 18 people in my class, and I came in 16th. Oh, wow. It was Bottom like, of the barrel on that one, eh? And you know, it, when I looked in the mirror, that was the best I had ever looked, in my opinion, of all my, of all my shows. So I was I was really happy with the way I looked, but when I got backstage and you see all these guys, everyone looks amazing. Yeah, you know, there's no no one there that is like way behind. Well, and that guy's calves are better than mine. That guy's and forearms look better. Exactly. Than mine. And yeah. as you look, as I'm looking around, I'm just thinking, like everyone here is ten times the size of me, even though I was the heaviest guy in my class, and I was a, a heavyweight, so I was about a pound and a half. Uh, not even, maybe one pound short of the heavyweight class. And uh, when I weighed myself a couple of days prior, I was in the heavyweight class. So I didn't eat and I uh, didn't carb up because I didn't want to go against the really, really big guys. Smart move. Yeah. Stack the cards, right? Stack yeah, the cards. I, I, that's what I had thought. But had I stayed where I was and continued to carb load and gain more weight and get harder and harder, I would have looked that much better. So I would have been better off to just stick with the game plan. So you came but, in a little flat then. Yeah, and it was my first time in nationals, and I never had a coach. I coached myself. So when I got there, I was like, oh, my God, and I had no one to tell me, listen, just relax, just stick to the plan. I just went into, okay, we're going to drop weight. we got to get into Panic the next mode, weight class. Right? Yep. So I went, the, the super heavyweights, I think, had eight or nine guys in the class. So I ended up going into the class that had like 18 or 19. <laughs> and there were so many people, and I was like, oh, my God. So it wasn't, the, but it was a good experience for me. It was my first time there. And I, I'd gone back and done it a couple more times. And I think the best I placed was sixth. I placed six once at the Masters. And uh, and then you realize, like, I started coming into injuries, muscle tears here and there. So that throws off your symmetry. And, what what um, kept you going back? You know, like, is it the, the strive to want to be able to climb higher up in those ranks? Yeah. Like sixth, fifth, fourth? First. I still just love the process. You know, and I still do, but, you know, I, if I hadn't had a few of those injuries, I probably would have done a couple more shows. But it got to the point where you have, uh, like, I tore my pack, I tore my bicep. It, when you're looking in the mirror and you're like, hey, when I look at myself, I'm already not 100%. So to compete against those guys, you really need to be at your best just to compete at that level. Because some of those guys are, and you know, I was getting older, 43, 44, 45 years old, and you're competing against kids that are 25 years old, 27 years old, not kids anymore, but, and they're like looking fantastic. So it's already, you're almost thinking, wow, like the cards are stacked against me. And I'm not one of those guys that, um, you know, I'm only, you know, the additive. Well, I'm just competing against myself. I just want to look better than I did last that is time. such bullshit. I want to win. Yeah, absolutely. You're competing against I, I, I want to win. Otherwise, if I'm not going to win, I might as well just be in a rec league. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It, it drives me nuts when people are like, I'm only here to be able to compete against myself. And it's like, really? Yeah. Really? So, in other words, what you're saying is you're actually comparing yourself against everybody else, but you're just going to lie to yourself. So yeah. It's a little bit better that, when that's you don't what I believe. That's, yeah. that's how it is for me. Yeah, I can't speak for anyone else, but that's how it is for me, and that's how I was when I played hockey too. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose. You know, I, I like to win. To me, winning is fun. Yeah, and I don't have a problem putting in the time and putting in whatever it takes 
for the team to get better, for me to get better, so that we can improve our chances of winning. You know, if we got to practice at six o'clock in the morning every day because we're we're in school and that's the only time, then let's do it. As long as everyone is in there and we and everyone has got the same frame of mind, okay, we want to win this game, we want to win this tournament. You know, we want to win the playoffs. And when as a bodybuilder, you're on your own, so it's all on you. You know, it is interesting how you went team to individual. Like, yeah. did you ever miss that, or did, did oh, you feel yeah. like you know, like the community in the gym that supported you? Did that kind of feel like your team was there? Well, there no. And I and I met a lot of great people in the gym, and uh, a lot of the bodybuilders are they're awesome guys. But it's not the same as when you're in the in the dressing room, and you're tying up your skates, and you're and the team is sitting around looking at each other, you know, getting ready for the game, and you're watching everyone's got their little their little rituals. And you know you're going out there as a, as a unit, as an army, to go into to win the game. It's just a great feeling that you know you're going out there together, and everyone's got each other's back. And whatever happens, you're not alone. You know, and I, I love that. Like we had this one song, you know, the captain of the team always played, and it was a song that just kind of trickled down, you know, year after year. You know, like the new captain would always play. But the second that song went on. Every, it was like what you said, ritual mode started. Like yeah. That was what started your individual ritual because yeah. the team ritual has started. You know, and it's just like, yeah, like those moments, like there's no matter what you do as an individual in an individual sport, having those moments where you feel that collective unity with all these other warriors yeah. going out into battles, yeah. brilliant, man. It's amazing feeling. And a lot of those guys I had known for many, many years, and we played together for five or six years already. And a lot of them, we went to school together. So it was not just what was happening in, in the rink, but what was happening in school. We hung out on the weekends. So we were really bonded, you know, and, and a lot of the guys I had known since I was in grade five. Oh, yeah. So, a lot of years, and, eh? and a few of these guys, they're my best friends. I still contact them to this day. We're still in talks and we talk on the phone and how's it going. And, you know, everyone's married and uh, they got some kids and one of them is living in like in the Middle East and in Calgary and everyone's all over the planet. And it's a 35-year friendship. Yeah. You know, it's it's beyond friendship. It's like a brotherhood. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And you, you grew up together, and you had your first drinks together, and your first hangover together, and your first altercation with the cops, and whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah. And there's a strong bond there. And it gets to the point where if you don't talk to them for a month or two, it makes no difference. Yeah. Because when you do talk, it's just like yesterday. There's always like that, that common bond like you're saying because all the things you go through and it's like you know like running suicides or being bag skated or like you know like you said like run-ins with the cops or like drinking or getting chased out of people's houses you know like just all those little moments they just they build such that solid foundation that you know a year or five years ten years down the road like you can get in contact with that person and it's like you know you feed off and that's why you know I can't imagine, like, when we go through all these things playing sports, but that's what always intrigues me so much about being a soldier. And even, like, to this day, like, I don't think that I would go, probably don't even qualify to be able to go, but just taking that feeling to a totally different level and, like, you're in combat with people. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Like, just the feeling you would get and, like, the unity you'd have coming back and, like, the brotherhood that you would form with those guys. Like, when they talk about it, I'm always jealous about it. I I mean, I would never want to compare anything from sports to – actually being in a war or in battle but i would assume that if you are in a war zone and you have your your platoon or your group there five or six seven eight guys and you're going through life and death situations like that is something that 
um, you can never you can never understand that feeling unless you are in that situation. You know, you come back from say Vietnam or it could be Korea or World War II or whatever the case may be, and you went through so much stuff. You can't even explain to people the things that you saw. You know, during during that something like an experience like that, because you got to feel those things, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, say going back to the ring, it's like, could you explain what it what it feels like to be bag skated to somebody who's never been bag skated? Yeah. You, you can't. Like, you have no idea how intense that yeah. environment can be, right? You know, like where you said, like, you know, head down, bolts flying over, ricocheting off everything. Like, I I can understand it because I've seen it on movies and I've heard people talk about it, but you're never going to feel that no. moment. Like, that hot burst going over your head to, like, yeah. tink off your helmet. You yeah, know, like yeah, things yeah. Like, like, when you feel the panic and the anxiety and, and the fear and then, like, the, like the you know, like the positive side of it, like after you come out of that situation yes, alive. Yes, like, absolutely. I couldn't even – and then you look at all these other guys around you and just, like, you know – Adam's still here, and Chuck's still yeah. here, and Blake's still here. I know, I know. We got this. It would be, uh, I couldn't even imagine, you know. And I'm not trying to glorify that by any means at all, but the feeling and the bond you would have connected to those individuals would be something you would never forget. You know, it, I, I, it would be insane. Is why they say sports is so big, though, right? Like it taps into that primal. Yeah, yeah, of absolutely. Us, you know, that, like we, you know, us as men, you know, like we have that warrior in us, right? You know, like yeah. we need to be able to exercise that in some kind of way, and that in sports now is our way of doing that, right? Yeah, so. and even look at how the fans—you have fans of a specific team, and there's casual fans, and then you have those fans that are just like so filled with passion. You know, they go to the games, their faces are painted, they got their jerseys on, and it's life or death. And, you know, their team is in the Super Bowl or in the Stanley Cup Finals, and they lose, and they, they got tears coming down their face. Yeah. Like, they're so invested in their team. You know, it's just, uh, maybe that was their team from when they were 10 years old, and they've been through, you've been waiting 30 years for your team to win that big game, and it hasn't happened, but you've been on that, you're, you've been following your team for so long, for so long. Finally, your team, you're 48 years old and your team wins the game, wins the championship, and you're so incredibly happy. You've got the tears of joy yeah, coming out of your, absolutely. you know what I mean? And you're just a fan. Yeah. You know, it's you pretty know, it's even like those ones, you know, like when the, say when the team loses the championship, it's still the fans that are standing at the airport as the guys come off the plane, they're walking down the thing, they're holding signs, you're like, we got you, you know, we'll support yeah. you next year. They got yours. It's just... Like that, like it's just it's and yeah. you know like the support, you know. And imagine how the how the players feel. Yeah. You're getting off. You just lost. You were in a, you know in another city, and you lost the game. The season's over. You come back and you're back in your hometown. And you're getting off the off the plane, and there's you know 800 or 2,000 fans and they're cheering you on and you're just like man, like uh, you can't buy that feeling. You know what I mean? No. At that point, no one cares what the what the paycheck is they're making, whether they're making, you know, five hundred thousand a year or five thousand a year or five million a year. Like each player is feeling the exact same thing. You know, and like all these professional athletes, you know, when they get carted through cities on the back of cars, yeah, like, you know. the whole city shuts down, and you know, they like, just spend millions of dollars on this celebration. Everybody's <laughs> just adoring them, like. You, you you couldn't even imagine what that like oh. you know and when people say like why would you you know play football or hockey and the risk for injury and like TBI and like all these things it's like 
Because you know what? If you've tasted that even just yeah. a little bit, yeah. like, you know why people go back. Yeah. Because then if you've ever won a championship, you can yeah. understand why guys don't want to retire. You can't explain that to somebody who never played competitive sports. Very true. You know what I mean? Even uh, even if you're 13, 14, or 15, and you've played Pop Warner football, and you won a championship, and you're like, wow, this is incredible. Everyone's so happy. The coach takes a team out for burgers, and everyone's, you know, you're a kid, and you're woo, woo, woo. Parents love you a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All the girls at school are like, oh, my God, yeah. you guys are so great, giving you attention. And then uh, if you amplify that to, you know, as an adult, even an, an adult, but even some of those players are 18, 19 years old, you know, who have an opportunity, and they win championships right away. But you could be 30 years old, or it could be your last season, and you win the championship. It must just be... Unbelievable, yeah. you know, unbelievable, yeah. which is why sports probably such a huge, a huge part of our society. Like I couldn't imagine being someone like and just Ronaldo or general, Messi. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And being the best, to be the best in the world at something, you know, like Usain Bolt, oh, you know, like yeah. be, being an Olympian. And to me, like I hear people say, well, what would you rather win a gold medal or win a championship. And I think for me, I would rather win a gold medal because you have the whole country rooting for you. And, uh, you know, to, to hear your national anthem, to me, that would be an incredible feeling to know that the TV is on and they're watching you and the whole country is like, this guy, man, he just won a gold medal for Canada or, wh yeah. or whatever country you're from. Uh, that, that, I think that feeling is would be just insane. Yeah, you know, you, you do bring up a, g a good point. You know, because I get emotional now when the Canadian National Anthem comes on because of all the times that we stood on the field and that, that National Anthem was being sung. And, you know, but to represent an entire country, you know, like that in your yeah. own country, like it just... And the Olympics always has a little bit more prestige to it too, right? You know, because of its background, its history. And, and it's global. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you're competing against the best in your sport from the best of every country is coming to compete against you and you're the best in your country. Now you're going to go one step up. Yeah. And who's the best in the world? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I, it, to me, it'd be mind boggling. You know, if, if I could do it all again from the, from the get go when I was young, I think that would be uh, something I might try to accomplish, get onto an Olympic team, but you know, or even just having like, that extra little, I need this drive, this extra bit of drive. I need to get up at 5.30 instead of 5.45. Yeah. It's like all those little things that would just keep nudging you down that direction year after year where you know you could kind of hone that in over the years, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It, 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 when someone says, when someone is a champion of said sport, like this person has got something inside of them. You know, you don't become a champion by by going halfway you know you're pushing everything this is your life you know maybe from five years old till you get that championship this you know whatever sport you've chosen this is your life and this is all you care about you know and until you reach your goal that's all you're going to care about and know? it's interesting now like how that's perceived you know like in, in today's world it's like you know, you're pushing your child too hard or, you know, like you're too extreme, you know, like what makes you think that, you know, your child, you know, is going to be in the NHL, you know, like all the, yeah. like, it just takes away from a lot of that, that ease of just 
wanting to be able to succeed and push a little bit harder and be a little bit different than everybody else yeah. to get that that edge you know what i mean yeah absolutely. you know and like those are those are things that are you know unfortunate i think about with when we look at children because i always try to challenge people and say okay well you know kids are going to be physically active kids should be physically active let's put it that uh, yeah, way absolutely so if they're physically active predominantly in a controlled setting Versus if they're just physically active, they're going running around, say, outside at the park or anything. Yeah. The base of it is that they're still just being physically active. Yeah. You know, so why is one environment more extreme than the other? You know, if they fundamentally want to do what they're doing, you yeah. should encourage that. 100%. Because why not? Why discourage them because you think it's too much? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. At least give uh, your child the opportunity or the chance yeah. to decide, well, it's not for me. Yeah. Or um, it's just not, I love this sport, but I'm just not good at it. Yeah. You know. And talking about kind of extreme things, I, I know I wanted to touch a little bit on, on this subject too, about how, you know, just because with, with, with bodybuilding itself, like dieting is always a thing that becomes labeled as the most extreme, you know, just because yeah. it's so regimented and people say it's so restricted. I know it's a little bit different now than what it was before, but uh, what changes have you seen so in like the beginning, like the, the tuna shakes and stuff, and now, like, how, how would you prep somebody for Well, the supplements now? now are away. When I started, there was no such thing as, you know, branched-chain amino acids. This has never existed. I mean, I remember going through a time when you could buy amino acids, and then because the sales weren't high, they actually changed the name to amino assets. Oh. Because they thought the word asset would uh, a good marketing tool. yes absolutely yeah. and it didn't work because people aren't stupid so then it went back to amino acids the original name yeah, so i never knew yeah that. yeah i, I, I remember, so long. Yeah, I I remember looking at it and going well these are called amino acids are is this something different or is this the same product they've just remarketed it and you know are, are trying to you know pawn it off is this something different and it was the same thing and it lasted maybe a year maybe two and then it went back to normal. So I would say the the biggest change would be the the training. I don't think has changed too much, except for now you've got the HIIT, the high intensity yeah. interval training. Um, but other than that, uh, the training is you know a lot of the stuff that people are doing now has been around since the since the 70s and the late in the early 80s. It's just been brought made popular again by like Dorian Yates style of training was done by Mike Menser. Mm -hmm. You know, so people who didn't know who Mike Menser was or his training style picked it up from Dorian, which is extremely heavy and high intense training. Yeah, and Mike had a really like unorthodox way of training. You know, back when he first heavily criticized when he started very criticized, and you know he he got a lot of it from uh, his training style was picked up from Arthur. Not is it Arthur Lang? I can't remember now. I can't recall the last name, but he picked it up from his trainer who was, who was, he was actually a manufacturer of gym equipment. And then uh, Mike did it and then he, he trained Dorian Yates and he picked it up. But as far as training has gone, it's been most of the same. It's just uh, some of the supplements, most of the supplements are all brand new. You know, you can buy carb powder now, uh, so you can cut corners on what you're eating. Uh, you're never going to be able to replace food. You know, through all these years, you know, have you ever, you know, through like the dieting or maybe just, you know, like in life in general, have you ever experienced kind of like any internal health concerns or anything like that? Well, I have um, actually recently, it, 
exact, almost exactly a year ago, I had developed an arrhythmia. So I didn't know what it was when it happened. I had no, no idea. And I was like, what's going on here? And uh, I felt very, very strange and lightheaded for a, for a few moments. And then I could feel my heart was beating quite rapidly. So it, this is going on for about two hours. So we called an ambulance because I didn't know what was going on and went to the hospital and they said, well, you've got an arrhythmia. Your heart's beating 200 beats per minute, blah, blah, blah. And it happened to me twice, once in October and once in January. And coincidentally, both times it happened was within 30 seconds of just finishing a uh, cream cheese sandwich, which I felt was pretty ironic. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The coincidence. So when I went, I told the emergency guys, response guys, the ambulance drivers, what had happened. And they kind of laughed it off. And I thought, maybe I'm sensitive to the food. No. Okay. And then I told the doctor the same thing. So they ran a ECG on me and some tests and everything. And um, uh, there was, there was, they found a little bit of a thickness in my heart on the, in the ventricular wall. So I just assumed right away, oh, you know, 20 plus years of bodybuilding, supplements, steroids, um, has to be that. So the first doctor said, the cardiologist said, no, we don't think it's from that. Uh, okay. So I went down the road and in a month and a half, I got an MRI. So everything was fine except for the slight thickness of the ventricular wall. The second cardiologist said, I had told him the same thing. He said, no. He goes, I think it may be amyloids. So I said, okay, so what are amyloids? And amyloids are uh, proteins that, that are mutated in your body and they're very sticky and starchy and they fold in half. So they get deposited in your organs. It could be your liver, it could be your, your kidneys, your heart, your tongue, and they really wreak havoc. But if they're in your tongue, they create a thickness in the walls. And over time, the heart gets so thick that it can no longer beat and cardiac arrest occurs. occurs. So I had all the tests. I had a heart biopsy, I had angiogram. Uh, everything came back negative. Angiogram, uh, arteries are large, zero blockage in any of them. Uh, the, the heart biopsy, the, the cells are healthy. There's no amyloids that were found. Everything is good. So my doctor was like, well, you know, you're a very healthy person, except for this one issue. So I went for more tests and I wore a heart monitor and more blood work and more blood work. So finally came out, we came up with the, we figured it must be genetic. But this, the heart arrhythmia, once I got out of the hospital, I, I had a very bad leaky gut. So leaky gut, what that is, is what you're, if you look at a screen door, it's mesh, very, very small mesh. So that's like your GI tract is like that, your intestinal wall. So if you get, if it starts to rip a little bit and you have holes in it, uh, protein particles or food particles will go through and they'll be in your bloodstream or in your, in your gut and it will start to ferment over time and become toxic. So this causes, it can cause a, a number of problems in your body, which one of them is food sensitivity. So I had brain fog, I had 
huge lethargeness. My stomach was very bloated, distended. I started to develop eczema. Which of those are very commonalities to a lot of people. IBS. Yeah. You know what I mean? So most people just think, oh, I just can't eat that food because it doesn't agree with me. But there, there's usually a reason why it doesn't agree with you. And um, so we changed the diet right away. I dropped dairy. I dropped gluten, uh, processed foods, refined carbohydrates, um, got onto uh, heavy dosages of vegetables, probiotics, fermented foods. Uh, sugar is out also. And um, grass-fed beef was in and some organic foods. And that was so where it. did you get this advice from to be able to like bridge that gap? Was that that is this advice you got from a doctor? This was to... no, no, no. This the doctors laughed at me when I told them the the connection between the leaky gut and the food sensitivity. No, 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 that's not what it is. I did said, they okay. continue to try to run more tests to find out what they thought it was? Well, even that they, you... they had diagnosed me with uh, ventricular tachycardia, which is a form of arrhythmia, which is a sped up heart rate. So, but when I changed the food, so I have a, um, a holistic nutritionist and a functional medicine practitioner. Her name is Veronica Yu. So she set up the diet for me and she works with tons of people that have chronic illness, diabetes, arthritis, liver cirrhosis, uh, PCOS, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, most people are in between 45 to 65 years old. Some are overweight. She works with them and she fixes them through food. Um, vitamin therapies, minerals, herbs, uh, slowly weans them off medications if they're on it. And uh, they, her success rate is like 100%. So she helped me with uh, my guts. It took about five months because mine was very severe. So once we started, a couple months in, there was no arrhythmias. They had left. Not to say that the ventricular tachycardia is gone, but the, the symptom of the, uh, the elevated heart rate was gone or the arrhythmia itself hasn't reared its ugly head in, a, in about a year. So I still have to go for some more tests in the spring. Um, but as far as that goes, the arrhythmia is gone in the sense that I don't have any attacks and any more episodes. And uh, I mean, I feel fantastic. And just the doctors prescribed beta blockers, um, ACE inhibitors, and I never took any of them. Uh, I, it's, it's for me, it's just not for me. The, 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 the side effects are just too much, you know, and it's not like they're going to put you on beta blockers for two months and then you're done. So you get on the beta blockers, that's it. You're on the beta blockers, you know, and I just didn't want to. I, for me, I want to try to fix everything with food. If all else fails, then I look at other avenues. You know what I mean? But for me, I need to be proactive. I'd rather do it with food. I'd rather not have any side effects. How did you make the decision to go from like healthcare professionals, you know, like this this singular track that we all kind of fall into saying that the only people who can help me is just simply going to like the walk-in clinic or my family doctor and that person's going to know the best for me. How did you make the jump from there 
to getting more into like like in a functional nutrition perspective? Well, I mean, if I was to break my leg or I had a you know a spear stuck in my chest or a knife wound or whatever, I'd go to see a doctor for sure. Where the hell do you spend Saturday night? <laughs> yeah. like, I think I might got to come with you if that's where you're going. <laughs> I would be like, Doc, you know, I got you know a couple bullet shots in my yeah. leg. Can you fix me up? Absolutely. But, you know, when it comes, you know, a doctor will be in, in med- medical school for however many years before he decides what his specialty is going to be. And they, they're not taught anything on nutrition. So they just don't have the, the knowledge of treating uh, sicknesses uh, with food, you know, and, and nutrients. They, they, they attack the symptom and not the root cause. So when the symptoms go away due to the meds, the root cause is still there. So eventually you're going to just have more problems down the road. So for me, I want to get rid of the root cause. You know, is if once the root cause is taken care of, the symptoms will disappear anyways. So I would rather go through a, a good nutritionist. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there, most doctors are very smart and they're good, but not all of them are. And it's no different than a nutritionist or a naturopath. Some are brilliant and others... Not so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you gotta, you need to find the right person who really can attack what your problem is in depth. And they can explain to you, okay, I want you to take this, this, and this. The reason is this is going to happen if you take this. This will help this. And when this is taken care of, in turn, this will be taken care of. So you want to know the ABCs and the one, two, threes of why you're going to be healthy. You know, it, it brings up a good point because... You know, a lot of people don't understand the vast amount of options there are for healthcare and being able to conquer, you know, things that ail them. You know, but again, we just think that, like, I have to go to the doctor, I have to go to the walk-in clinic, I have to go to the family doctor, but not understanding there's all these other professionals out there that have an opportunity to be able to help you as well. You know, and looking at it, like, like we were saying, like a broken bone or, you know, like spear in the side, you know, anything along those lines. Like like an acute, acute pain. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, but you, how many things are people going to a doctor for now that they don't even need to go to a doctor for? Like they're like a pre-diabetic like doctors know. Yeah. You know, like everything to do, you know, with like type two diabetes or you know, like heart disease, high blood pressure, all these kind of things. Yeah. They don't even need to walk into a doctor's office. No. Like they, they don't like there's yeah. a leaky gut, all the symptoms that yeah. contribute to that. Like they, they, it's, but there's nobody steering people significantly in the right direction. I know there's a little bit of propaganda out there saying, take your healthcare into your own hands, ask questions, but it doesn't steer people off the course of going to a family doctor yeah. or a walk-in clinic saying, okay, well, take my healthcare into my own hands. It's just asking the same person questions, but they have to want to answer them. Yeah. Again, they don't even have time or they might not have like the knowledge to be able to answer them properly, but yeah. why doesn't that propaganda say, take your healthcare into your own hands? And seek out other opinions outside of a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not just a different doctor. One hundred percent. I mean, if you go to see Doctor A, and he gives you an opinion on on a, on a problem that you have, and you're not really sure that I don't I don't know if I believe that. It's a, I don't. From what I'm feeling, I don't think that's the problem. So you go see another doctor, and he gives you the same opinion, or maybe it's different. But why? It doesn't hurt you to go outside the uh, standard medical field whether it be a, a nutritional a nutritional a therapist per se or a naturopath or whatever to get their opinion on on uh, what's going on you know what i mean it, it, it no no harm in it 
it just takes up a little bit of your time. And you know, I think, you know, the things like people just don't think about it, you know, because I remember, I know you and I, we've talked about this in the past about how, you know, like I had the, um, you know, I had a condition, I went to a doctor, you know, I had this stomach pain going on, you know, and this was all over the course of like a couple of years. And, you know, I went to the first doctor and they kind of just did like a, a physical assessment. They're like, okay, it was probably like a strained ab muscle. You yeah. know, tell you work out. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm like, it doesn't feel like that, but okay left, you know, about six, eight months later, went back to a different doctor and I'm like, you know, okay, well, what do you do? Okay. Well, I, you know, I'm a personal trainer, you take, you know, like these supplements, I work out all the time. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I try to eat healthy, yes. like all these kind of things. And then, you know, her opinion was, you know, maybe it's just the supplements you're taking, like, you know, stop taking all the supplements you're on and see how it feels. You know, then it got to a point over about a year, year and a half into, you know, as you know, pulling over on the side of the road and crying in pain. Yeah. And I'm used to being able to put through it like an astronomical amount of pain. And like I was taught pain management playing football these years. Yeah. And this I couldn't tough out. Like, yes. like it, it was unbearable. I remember one night I was at home in Langley, a condo right across the street from the hospital. And it was so bad. And I was so delirious. I walked myself across Fraser Highway, went to the hospital, went to the emergency. And I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Like, this is how bad it is. I'm like, I'm delirious. I don't even know how long it took me to get here. Yeah. They brought me in, hooked me up. They, you know, put some fluids in me, said I was dehydrated, thought that I had taken drugs. They're like, what drugs are you on? I'm like, I'm not on drugs. I've been dealing with this for almost two years now. There's something wrong with me. You know, in the morning, all they did after they hooked me up to the IV, woke up in the morning, felt relatively okay. They said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you can go. Yeah. And then a few months after that, you know, same thing, just intense stomach pains, went to another doctor. And this guy was just like, well, maybe we should run some tests. Yeah, finally. You know, finally, after all this time, he's just like, let's figure out what's wrong with you. Yeah. You know, but it had to get that bad. I went through this probably, and it was horrible, like, I was sick all the time. My immune system was being down. Like I, yeah. I was eating all this food to be able to boost my immune system. Again, not drinking, not smoking, working out, trying to live this healthy, active lifestyle and barely could get out of bed yeah. in the morning, you know, chronically sick all the time, you know, and then I go, and then this doctor runs these tests, you know, I go do this, you know, H. pylori blow test and all this kind of stuff comes back. Well, I got this, you know, H. pylori, I got this untreated stomach ulcer. They put me on this, these antibiotics, those Australian doctors came up with and, Find it like after that, like it was good, you know, in a situation like that, like I had a positive outcome eventually. Would I try to explore a different road now? Maybe, maybe not, yeah. you know, as in like the medication that I took. But the, the problem is that I lived this for two years, but every single one of those doctors I seen only had to live it for like the 10 minutes of I was course. in their office. Not but I had to live minutes, it, probably. yeah, and I had to live it every single day. Yeah. You know, but back then, as much as I was in this industry, I still never went and thought about outside of seeing a doctor. Yeah, because it's ingrained in us so deep. Because from your childhood, if you have an earache, you go to the doctor. You know, you have a toothache. Well, maybe a toothache is different because you go to the dentist. But, you know, any kind of ache and pain uh, that you feel, they go to the doctor. You fall down, the parents take you to the doctor. You know, so from an early age, the, that's where you go. It's your go-to is the doctor, the doctor, the doctor. In your um, annual checkup, you go like there's just this standard system yeah. they have to follow, and if you don't, you're neglecting your kids or you're neglecting yourself. Yeah, or, I know. You know. Yeah, so that's what you're used to doing. So it's hard to break away from that as you get older. Like it's really hard to when you've done 25 years of uh, seeing a, a medical doctor, and now all of a sudden you're going to take it upon yourself to maybe explore other options because maybe there's a better option. You don't know until you take it. 
but you're so used to, well, I got to go to the doctor. I got to go to the doctor. I got massive headaches. I got to go to the doctor. You know, my back is sore, whatever the case may be. And, and sometimes there's other options to, to, to check, other avenues to check out. It certainly doesn't hurt, you know. And like with all this, with with your leaky gut now, like was it like you said you have some tests coming up in in the spring? Like where? Like do you are you fully recovered from it now? Like you know, could you go eat some cream cheese? Oh yes. Fine? Oh, I haven't had you know, <laughs> I've eaten a lot of other foods. Like I can have pizza and I can have you know, quote unquote shit food. Yeah. Uh, when it doesn't it doesn't irritate me. I haven't tried any uh, cream cheese as of since last year because yeah. I'm just like, eh, well, let's just save that for a yeah, couple of years down little, the road. Yeah, I might get a little placebo in there too. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be bad. And You'd then, you be know. surprised at the uh, the form of PTSD you can get when you have like a semi-traumatic experience. Then I was paranoid. You know, um, the one doctor told me, uh, you know, I'll probably be dead in a week or so. And so you got to get your MRI right away. You know, you start feeling, and for me, the feeling was in my stomach first before the heart started to get rapid. So every time I had a weird feeling in my stomach, uh-oh, here it comes, here it comes, oh my God, and nothing would happen. Then you start thinking, maybe it's just intuition, I got this gut. And then you're right? just like thinking, you know, you're paranoid. Because every time you have a shortness of breath or you have uh, anything, you think right away, oh, it's got to be my heart, you know. And with the thickness of the heart, it came back that it was genetic, you know. And it had nothing to do with any drugs or anything. It was just chance. It was just habits chance. It was just like whether I was a cross, you know, a, a long-distance runner or I played checkers for a living or a bodybuilder, this issue w would still be there. Did it did it stop you from going to the gym at all? Did you just try to power through? Like no, how did it no, affect no, your... no, 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 no. You know it's funny because a couple of years prior to that, I had a really I was sick, really, really smart night, maybe four years prior. I was super sick. And I didn't go to work for a few days. So I went to uh, the the walk in to find out if I had pneumonia. Because I was coughing up like it was black flaming so I went to see and, and the doctor had the stethoscope and he he was listening to my heart and he was like oh my god I want you to go to the lab and get some blood work done and do, do this certain test that they had they hooked they put some suction cups on my chest and whatnot okay I went there I had it done and then I was coming back to the hot to the to the walk-in and I stopped off at my house which was on the way and I had a protein shake and then I came in and he was standing there freaking out What's taking you so long? Oh my God, I was gonna freak out. I said, I just stopped off to get a shake and here I am because it's right by my house. You gotta go to emergency, you have to go to emergency. He got on the phone. I have a gentleman here, he's heavily muscled. Uh, his heart is uh, acting up or blah, blah, blah. And I was really sick at the time. So my heart is probably, the, the, the beats were elevated probably. So they send me in, I go to the, to the emergency. So I'm lying there and then the doctor comes and he's checking me out in the emergency. How are you feeling? I said, I, I feel fine except for this uh, pneumonia that I think I have. And he checks me out again, same thing. And he goes, well, you know, uh, you've been, you're training in a bodybuilder and you know as you get larger and if you're using anabolics, your heart can get larger too, blah, blah, because my heartbeat was off a little bit. Okay, that was it. And I had to go back a week later 
to see the, the walking guy had some meds for me. So I went back a week later and he told me too, you're going to be dead. You're going to die if you don't hurry to get to the hospital. Yeah. I was okay, okay. So I came back to the walk-in and I said, yeah, I have an appointment with Dr. So-and-so. And they're like, well, actually, he's no longer with us anymore. I guess they had a lot of complaints about him. So I had seen another doctor. And, you know, he checked me out. Everything was fine. And then, uh, you know, fast forward now to what happened. So obviously, because I had the, the genetic uh, thickness of the ventricular wall, so every couple beats, my heart is a little bit. It's not on track. Oh, okay, yeah. So, but, you know, so I've had the, you know, and I was driving around for a week thinking, I'm going to drop dead at any minute. You know, that's what the doctor said. He was freaking out on me, blah, 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 blah. And when I had gone back and they said, I could tell by the nurses, uh, you know, her response was, oh, well, you know, Dr. So-and-so, he's no longer here anymore. Yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder how many people he freaked out that came to see him because he, yeah, he was off the hook. And then when I went to the other doctor, you know, later that day, he was just basically, you know, everything is fine. You know, plus when you're a sick, your heart is beating a little bit faster. And he just basically said, you know, if you're taking supplements, there's a chance that your heart's going to be bigger too. So, you know, the, the, the beats may be off. And, you know, fast forward to last year, all the tests I've done, I've had so many tests and blood work. Everything is fine, except for the genetic defect of a slight thickness of the ventricular wall. So how long have I had that? Or even like how long have you had the leaky gut for? You know, like that the might have been around gut, the time. Well, that was probably started, right? I had it for a while because I know I was battling distension for over a year, and at one point I was up to two hundred and like seventy five pounds. So I just was like, well, I'm eating like crazy, and I was just drinking, you know, waking or shakes and tons of supplements and pounding back creatine and glutamine, which glutamine was good because it's for my gut, but I was taking so much. So I was constantly full. So I probably didn't even realize that it was leaky gut because I just figured, well, the reason I'm distended is because I've got so much liquid and so much food in my belly at all times. And then you realize what's going on down the road and it was probably festering for who knows how long, but even before, by the time it got distended, it was probably happening for two or three years as the process continued to where I ended up there. Well, you know, and the nice thing about that all is no matter what, what the road is that you travel and it's kind of the same thing, like with me and with you is that, you know, we've come past all this. And I think the real, the real win after all that is, is it, it didn't really change the lifestyle at all, right? No, nothing changed. The only thing that changed was my eating got, and my eating was good when I was young. You know, but, you know, I went to the stage, uh, you know, as a bodybuilder, you're always trying to get, build more muscle, build more muscle. So you're eating and I'm a hard gainer. I'm not one of those guys that can just eat six meals and I slowly get bigger. Like I need mass amount of calories. Like I need to eat, if I'm eating 3,500 calories a day, uh, that's just enough to maintain me at 230. So when I'm at 240, I need to eat 4,000 calories a day just to maintain that size. So if I'm eating five or 6,000 calories a day, then I start getting into an anabolic phase where I start to grow. So that's a lot of that's food. That's a lot of food, yeah. And I'm only I'm five foot ten, and I'm not I don't have a huge frame, you know. So you do that every day, every day for years and years and years. Yeah, you, you know, you got to pay the piper eventually. Well, and it's just it's a lot for the body to process, right? You know, and yeah. no matter how efficient our bodies are, we're just constantly overloaded with food, whether it be good food or yeah. anything like that's just it's a really taxing on our system to be constantly processed. Oh, you're right? just 
pounding your digestive system. And I, and I, I seldom took digestive enzymes. You know, I wasn't taking probiotics. You know, I wasn't eating fermented foods. I didn't eat the good stuff on top of to feed the good bacteria while I was feeding the bad bacteria. So it was really a lopsided war that was going on in my gut. And, uh, you know, I was losing the war. Yeah, and, you know, and so many people are, you know, but I, I think that the standard of how we feel we should feel now day to day is just so low. Like the bar is so low. I know, so it's low. terrible. I you know, it's, it's okay to feel tired. It's okay to feel lethargic. It's yeah. okay to have some bloating. Like everybody's bloated. Everybody's know, tired. Everybody's stressed out. And it's everyone's like, okay with that. That's yeah, but, like, they think it's normal. Well, you know, I'm in my 40s, just getting old. Yeah. Well, and, I ate some pizza last night, so of course I feel like shit today. It's like, well, yeah, exactly. Well, no shit. You're proving you know? my point for me. Yeah. You know, why don't you try eating healthier? And I have guys too that are, you know, I have a friend of mine, and he's 52, and I, I talked to him. This is going back about six months. How you doing? Oh, man, Chucky. I'm tired all the time, you know, and I... My stomach, you know, I'm distended and I just don't feel good. And I'm like, and I went to see my doctor and my, my cholesterol levels are really high. So he's got me on meds for that. And I'm like, well, have you tried taking vitamin B3 like niacin? It's proven to help your cholesterol levels. Oh, no, I never heard of it. I said, well, you should look into it, but don't take it with your meds. But maybe talk to your doctor. See if you can take that first instead of taking uh, the meds. Yeah, Okay. Well, I already knew that's not going to happen. Yeah, you can hear it in you the know? voice. Yeah, I heard it. He just wants me to shut up. You know, but the, these people are tired all the time, and it's like everyone, and he's just like, well, you know, it's getting old. I'm like, no, because I know people who are in their 50s, and they have huge amounts of energy. Yeah. And they feel fantastic. You know, their lifestyles are a lot different than what yours is, but um, you have to eat regardless. So what you put in your mouth is up to you. You know, there's no excuse why I can't eat healthy because I work so much. Well, you're eating shit. And if Which you, makes it harder to work so much. Yeah, right? and you know, and we're in a place now, we know now that you don't have to eat three or four times a day. If you eat two really healthy meals, you know, under a timetable of intermittent fasting, you will be healthy and full, filled with energy. You know what I mean? But it's hard for people to, you know, people are very, they don't want to change. You know, you know, and it's just it's the ingrained laziness of the vast majority of people, you know, especially nowadays where it's the, you know, people don't want to change. But the thing they do want to fundamentally change all the time is continue to make things easier for I themselves. Know. Well, yeah, of course. Like, that's the that's the only commonality behind like change in life It's never change because it's harder, you know, change. It's like, you know, even though people will just know, you know. Because even like the thing with me when, you know, because people think I'm crazy the way that I eat, but I also sleep like four hours and I feel yeah. fantastic yeah. all day long. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, and yeah, it breaks the mold and yeah, it might not be for everybody, but I'm like, everybody's not waking up and having like a teaspoon of turmeric and a tablespoon of fish eggs for <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Yeah, apple you know, cider like, vinegar. Yeah, you know what I'm like, but that's, that's how I live because it's more important to me to be able to kill every day. Yeah. You know, I don't really like the, the food is just my vehicle to be able to like just murder this day too. Absolutely. You know, as long as I can do that, I'm happy. And, and you will be able to murder the day for, you know, an extra 15, 20 years. Yeah. You know, as opposed to having those years, but, you know, the quality is not there. Yeah. 
You know, who wants to live to be 80 or 90 when the quality of your life is terrible? When you feel like shit all the time and, you know, you have no Yeah, I want to be like, I want to go down as a warrior. Like, I I don't care. That's why I always tell people, you know, no matter when I, if I'm out doing something that I love, you know, it's a common theme of life. But like, you know, who gives a shit about living to 80 if you have to struggle for 10 years to get there? Yeah. You know, I'd rather just, I'd rather be just a powerhouse to 70. Yeah, absolutely. It's quality over quantity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they just, there was a guy, he had just won. There's a bike race in Death Valley in California, which is like plus 42 when you're driving. And he was 92 years old. Love that. And he won his class in the sense of, you know, from 70 up and then they have whatever. And when you're at 92 years old and you're able to ride a bike in Death Valley and without problems, you win. Or the same problems that a 40-year-old would have. Yeah. You know, like, like you won you won the game, man. Like you are doing at that point, you can't be criticized for what you're doing. Isn't it even – and when you're saying that, I think one of the coolest part about that is, is that there's even a category – Four guys his yeah. age, which means he's not alone. Exactly. He's sitting up there at that starting exactly. out with all the other 70 to 90-year-old yeah, guys. Yeah. Like, let's fuck this up right uh, yeah, now. Yeah, you know no I mean? kidding. Like, like, that's how I want to be. Yeah, and he's not just functioning, man. He's functioning at a high level. So if you're able to ride a bike 50 miles or 30 miles or whatever the race is in a plus 40-degree weather uh, – Call it five miles because five miles. Yeah, like seriously, your internal organs yeah. and your cardiovascular system is working pretty damn good. You know, pretty damn good if you're 35 and you could do that race. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is, but it's expected if you're training. But if you're 92, like that's a whole different world. You know, you know, and it's just breaking the mold, you know, and you think of like, you know, all the times that that guy's probably been told he's doing too much for his age or yeah, calories yeah. is wrong, you know, like he's pushing his body too hard and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But you know what, when he, well, I guess I shouldn't use it. It's like, if there was ever a time that if he was doing that race in Death Valley and he passed away on his bike because of old age or extreme temperatures yeah. or whatever, is that he just killed it to the dying 100%. second. 100%. Killed it to the dying it's second. It's no different than the person who is um, doing something that he loves and he dies doing that in the process of doing it. Of course, nobody wants to die and nobody wants to have their life ended at a young age. But if you're doing any kind of a sport or athletic ability and you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, and you know it happens to be your time to go, and you're going while you're doing something like that, like, or like the alternative to that is dying at your desk or on the couch. Yeah. And like neither one of those things to me is ever going to be acceptable. No. You know, like I'm going to be on a on a paddleboard, I'm going to be on a bike, I'm going to be at the top of a mountain, yeah. I'm going to be jumping out of an airplane, I'm going to be something. But yeah. you know, to be just to look at it, you know, how many years did you sit on that couch just waiting to die? Yeah, and you know what? I, I, I honestly think that in the future, these people who are in their 60s and 70s and up, that is going to start to be more of a regular thing because uh, the lifestyles are slowly starting to change. I think more people are becoming aware of, uh, you know, food is uh, health care and medicine is sick care. So they're starting to learn a little bit about food. There's more information out there on food on how it's going to help you be- benefit to stay healthy. Uh, and less in the people long just run. sitting around at that age too, right? Like there's way more sure. 60 and 70 year old people just going outside for a walk or traveling the world yeah. or you know like doing stuff like not thinking like okay, well I'm going to retire now and it's all about just watching Netflix reruns. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. People are active. Yeah. 
you know, and uh, also with, with what's going on in science now, you know, they're learning more and more and more things that are going to prolong. Like there's a, there's a drug out called rapamycin. Yeah. So they use it for people who have organ transplants because it helps to suppress the immune system. So when you have a foreign organ put into your body, you don't want to have a high immune system because it'll, it won't accept the, the organ. So they've discovered a while back, or maybe not that long ago, that the studies on dogs and on monkeys with rapamycin shows that it improves the injection fraction of the heart. So if you're at 30%, after 12 weeks, the dog or the monkey is a full 10% up. So if you're at 30, you're going to 40. 40, you're at 10%, a whole 10%. That's quite a bit. So, and that's at about 2 to 5 milligrams a week. So once once a week, you're not taking it every day, which is incredible, you know. And, I, and I'm not like a huge fan of uh, pharmaceutical drugs, but if it's something you were going to take for a short period of time to benefit you and then you're going to come off, like in 12 weeks, they probably won't have any side effects because you will be finished before it has a chance to, to develop. It's still in the testing in testing phases, but that could be very beneficial to people who, who have heart issues. You know, I mean, and there's a lot of other things. There's a peptide called epitalin. So the Soviets have used it in the 60s. They were doing 10-year, 15-year-long uh, tests with it for, for elders. And it's just a really incredible peptide. I mean, I know people talk of GH being an extension of life and anti-aging, which it does help a little bit. But epitalin is a whole different ballgame. It, you know, it lengthens telomeres. It does some really incredible things. And you take it for like 10 days, and then you're off. And then six months later, 10 days, then you're off. Uh, I haven't used it myself, not yet, but I'm going to give it a try. Apparently, it's it has nothing to do with, it's not going to build muscle, it's not going to burn fat, but it does increase your energy levels. You feel the energy right away. Sleep is deep, energy is up, uh, maybe maybe some of the small lines uh, around your eyes, the crow's feet, they, they tend to vanish. But it's And it's been around for a very long time. Now, most people never heard of it because it can't be patented. So the pharmaceutical companies don't have a handle on it, so it hasn't been pumped out to the world. But uh, it, to me, it sounds pretty uh, pretty incredible. You know, it's something well, I, I would I would try. You know, and, you know, like, that's the one thing. It's like, obviously, we all know, especially the controversy in sports, so, you know, like, you know, that's the one thing that I, I tend to applaud, you know, countries like Russia about is, they actually put some research into like some pretty cool human optimization yes. techniques, right? You know, like there, there's a lot of really cool stuff that comes out of like the weirdest places, right? Where, yeah, yeah, and and because it doesn't have anything to do with the pharma companies, like that stuff. Uh, I'm sure some of those tests are happening uh, in the states in 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 small groups, but it's never going to be really open to the public unless it's uh, patented by the pharmaceutical companies. And who knows what it's going to cost? Well, you know, because we're all human too, right? You know, if, if you and I came up with a company that had this stuff, it, it would take a lot when people are waving that golden ticket paycheck in front of you to not sell out that company of where course. they can bury it. And we like, you know, we can only turn an ignorant eye to it for so long to understand that companies aren't buying other companies just so those products don't end up on <laughs> shelf, even if they are going to be beneficial to yeah, us, right? So, yeah. you know, once, once that toxic environment, you know, like subsides and it's just – 
there's the freedom of people you know, being able to optimize themselves in the ways that they want. And you see it with like CBD and THC. Yeah, absolutely. And coming up on the block and MDMA and LSD and like yeah, all these drugs yeah, coming online yeah. where people just have the freedom to be able to optimize their own health in ways that they see fit. You know, like where you said, it's just like, you know, these, these peptides and, you know, like you're talking about all these things are just natural. Yeah. You know, why don't we know about them? Like, like they should be the forefront. They should be the things that we do first and foremost before we ever go down the road of absolutely. Drug. But it's completely the opposite. You have to dig and scratch and crawl to be able to find the one person that may have that information saying, hey, here's an alternative. Yeah, for sure. And peptides are just uh, protein molecules put together in a certain specific uh, order. Sequence, yeah. Sequence. So, you know, it's not like you're putting in any crazy chemicals into your body. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, which is exactly why they can't be patented. Yeah. You know, but the, the stuff is out there. It know? is, you know, and it's, I, that's why I find the importance, you know, being able to have more podcasts, you know, like this, you know, where it's even just, cause you know, like we're just a couple of guys talking shop. Like, yeah. you know, like we're, neither one of us has a huge education, but it just, the, the big takeaway from this is even if we got something wrong, we're just trying to find out other ways, you know, to be able to, to even Absolutely. educate people saying like there's other options, you know, like we need to explore those other options. There's other countries out there doing other things, you know, like there's other alternatives to medicine. There's other products we can take. There's other approaches out there and yeah. that's the key because I yes. think more people just need to hear that. So if they decide to step outside of that box and seek a different kind of care when yes. they're getting social pressure to go down another road saying like, no, this is okay because there's a lot of other people doing this now. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are options. They exist. Um, most people don't know what it, half of these things, you know, because yeah. they're in their bubble and they are, they're living their life. They got their, their life and this is it. And they don't, they're not looking for it. You're not going to find anything if you're not looking for it at the very, at the very minimum. Yeah. You know, and there's, and now with science, it's just, uh, things are exploding with, uh, nanotechnology and stem cell research. The, uh, I mean, the, um, the need to extend life, you know, the benefits of, uh, of thing of, uh, let's say foods or peptides or any kind of minerals, vitamin therapy to give uh, longevity, but have a better life, more energy. Like I think besides money, you know, the goal in life, like everyone, you know, as a child, you grow up, you're like, as you get older, you're in your teens. Oh, I want to have, you know, the fancy car, the big house, loads of money. You know, as you get older, you're thinking, well, the, the, the goal is to live longer, but to have quality as I live. You know, I want to be 70. I want 70 to be the new 45. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think if you're on the right path and as technology changes and people have more, uh, more research uh, avenues to go down, it's a possibility. And know? even just to be able to to hear it versus having to read it. You know, that's why I like both the, like things like this. You can tune into it. You know, you can take a week to be able to go. You can go back to them. Yeah. You know, they can hear about all these yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, because not everybody has the time to be able to read a book or like there's something about books that might just steer people away from it, but a podcast is a little bit different or, yeah. you know, things like that. Just more sources of information, you know, coaching people down these roads to be yeah, able to explore. Absolutely. Abs yeah. I mean, now there's more and more podcasts, which, which is much more interesting for an individual to listen to someone talk about something I think they can rate a little bit relate relate a little bit better as opposed to uh, reading medical journals yeah. you know what I mean because the person speaking is gonna uh, dummy it down for you 
so you understand what he's talking about. He's, you know, the, you know, like the the scientist is going to talk with regular words. He's not going to use the astrophysicist words. And you're going to be like, what the hell is he talking yeah. about? You know, he's going to dummy it down and make it so you understand. You're like, oh yeah, I get it. That makes more sense to me now. Why? I wish I would have had a science teacher in high school who would have talked to me that way. It would have made class much more interesting. And you know what? And they can't. They absolutely can. And I was just talking to one of my friends. She happens to be a doctor. We were talking about NAD today. And, you know, like for like cognitive therapy and you know, yes. like rebuilding the synapses in the mind, you know, yeah, like the neurotropics. Like, yeah, you know, but I'm like, as I was having this conversation, I was like, I'm interested in this, but it doesn't even have to be at this kind of level. I you know, know, like it can be a lot easier to be able to digest and absorb. And I think that's, that's the key is like, how can we just, give this in a user-friendly way where when people start hearing it that they're just like oh that's something i could be interested in or i kind of understand some of those words so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna pay attention a little bit more to what these people have to say 100 uh, percent. i've read stuff where the headline was really gripping me they talk about uh niacin nad or any kind of a vitamin and it you know uh, that extends life is the and you read two sentences in and then all of a sudden it's all medical jargon and references to certain books and you're like yeah, I'm lost already. Yeah, you know, I need to explain it to me. Like, give it to me, you know, in 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 colorful pictures with hand puppets, so I understand what you're talking about. Keep my interest. Because and again, it can, you know, but it, again, it breaks down an old system of you know people wanting to be able to that hierarchy where you can only get this information from me. I'm the only person who can interpret this information. You know, but it really isn't, especially not in today's day. You know, maybe. 30, 40, 50 years ago and beyond that, 100%, I get it. Yeah. You know, but not in, not in today's day and age, right? The one thing that really inspired me to be able to start this and why I want to have people like you on is because there's so many of us that are just interested. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I might not want to go to school for eight or 10 years, but I'll spend an hour a day researching. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and I'll spend that same hour day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And, you know, I get this bank of knowledge. I yeah. sit there and talk to you, and it's a little bit more than when, you know, we talk to other people and kind of share that. And, People are thirsty for human optimization, like longevity, and the combination of those two. You know, like yeah. I do want to live healthier. Like I don't want to wake up every day and feel lethargic and feel like shit and be fat and lazy and disgusting. And like <laughs> I, I, I want to be able to feel good. And I want to be able to take charge because then when you see that guy that's ninety riding his bike in death, it's an opportunity for you. You're you're almost looking at the future. Yeah. For yourself, and believe me, there's nothing worse than sleeping eight hours waking up and you walk to your kitchen and you have your water and you're like where's the couch i need to lie down yeah it's terrible 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 feeling and what do people say there i must have not good got a good quality of sleep yeah i must have not slept that hard last night even for me i couldn't figure out why am i so tired i'm so tired all the time and i'd be going to the gym and i remember complaining to my buddies they're like how's it going i'm like you know I'm, I'm so tired man i could barely carry the weights to the bar and you so i train harder i gotta train more train more then you realize that you're suffering from uh, adrenal fatigue. Yeah. You know what I mean? And your cortisol levels are blasting through the roof. And you're like, I don't know, I'm barely eating anything. And I seem to be getting, you know, putting weight on because your hormones are all out of whack. And uh, it's just like, why am I tired all the time? I just had a two-hour nap in the middle of the afternoon. I slept eight hours. I'm up. And I still can barely get off the couch. Yeah. That's uh, the worst feeling in the world, especially if you're not 80. It's and bad if enough you're if you're eating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially when you look back and you go, you know, I used to have so much energy. You know, I could do... Back so when I was younger. Yeah, right? that's yeah, exactly Back when I was it. younger. And I'm thinking... And then it, it seemed to me like I was like, man, when was the last time? Because when I, when I did a show in 2011, 
I was tired, like during my prep. I was really, really tired. I could barely get out of my truck. And I just blamed it on, well, I'm dieting for a show, you know. But when I dieted in 2010, I had tons of energy. Like I remember going into uh, the health store and I had to pick up some tanning spray and solutions and stuff and a couple uh, stuff for the, for the show. And uh, talking to the gentleman behind the counter and he was like, hey, are you doing a show? And I said, yeah, the show was the next day. He goes, man, you have a lot of energy. And I was like, yeah, I know. I feel amazing. And I thought, I feel amazing. I must be out of shape. Yeah. You I know, be doing something wrong, I must right? be doing something yeah. wrong. I feel smart. You know, I can make good decisions. I yeah. can get out of bed. Like, oh, I'm not dieting hard enough. Yeah. And yeah. to be honest, that was the first time that I had prepped with a keto diet. Well, it was partially keto. Because, well, it was keto, but my protein was much higher than it would have been for a keto diet. So maybe a, a form of Atkins, I would say. But my energy levels were through the roof. My training was awesome. I felt great. The day before the show, I felt amazing. Do you think it was because your your calorie intake was maybe a little bit higher because you are eating all the extra protein or because you are going through glycogenesis, turning it and metabolizing it into it sugar? Ha- it had to be glycogenesis because I felt really, really good. you know. And, and I ended up winning my class that year. You know, so I was like, and hey, stage presence is big too, right? You know, if you're feeling yeah, good, you're oh, 100%, taking charge, you're out 100%. there energized, you're jacked up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to in 2005, I was sick as a dog when I did the show and it, I could barely walk backstage. I was like, oh, you know, your face was really, really gaunt and I just had zero energy. You know what I mean? And it was, uh, and in 2011, 20, 000, uh, 2010, I felt phenomenal. In 2011, I was so tired. It was just, I couldn't believe how tired I was. I just couldn't get out of my truck. I'd, I'd get home from the gym and I'd park my truck and I'd sit there for about three minutes before I'd be like, okay, we got to get out of the truck now. And I was just tired. And I, did, I didn't know what, it, what to attribute it to, but I know that I had a bad accident in the gym and I crushed both my legs. And it took about two years the doctors told me it's going to take, they, they, they came with the, they had to bring an ambulance and they put me yeah, on the stretcher. You got you to share what happened. You crushed both your legs and the ambulance so was coming. So I was training and we were doing uh, calves on the Smith machine and we had the, the, the cardboard, or not cardboard, sorry. There was a step so I could put my feet on the step. It was out about a foot and a half from underneath the bar. So I was doing about two and a half plates on a side. And the guy I was training with was shorter than me. So I had to put the bar two notches lower. So on one of the sets, I went to put the bar lower. So I was leaning back and I missed the hook. So it took me down into like a sissy squat. But as I was trying to stop the whole way down. So it tore both quad medialises. Not off the bone, but it just shredded them. And it came, they took the bar off me. Oh, it was worst pain ever. And it, ha- it was happening to me in like slow motion. I was lying on the ground. I couldn't move. Uh, they called an ambulance. They put me on uh, the stretcher, took me to the hospital. Uh, they looked at my legs. They put some stuff on there, and they tested them. And uh, I guess the nerve damage in my legs was so bad that the doctor said, it's gonna, you're going to heal about one inch of nerve every month. So your legs won't be healed for about two years. Okay. So... But I already put in my head 
I'm doing a show next year. Yeah. So I had to get through it. So I couldn't barely do any kind of leg squats or anything. But during my prep, I was so tired and I just attributed it to being the trauma that was in my legs must just be sucking the life out of me for dieting. I was in bed for a month. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get upstairs. It, it was about a year and a half before I could walk up a curb curb or or off a curb because the, the, the bending yeah. of my leg would have taken me to the ground. Wow. It was painful. It was painful. I, somehow I managed to train through it, but it was uh, it was it was hard. You know, again, it's just it's like all the other people who've been on this podcast before talking about, it, especially when it comes to walking. You know, because we have a few people. You know, that's, um, you know Maria with her stroke, and she had yeah. to learn how to walk again in the hospital. And you know, when she was in the hospital, she's like, "I'm not going to GF Strong. Like, I will not go there. I'm yeah. going to walk out of this hospital in the next yeah. three or four days." And she did. Yeah. You know, and. And it's other people just that that retraining process. They just have the, this goal in their mind of a day or a time or something that's just unacceptable. Yeah. You know, like Sean in his skateboarding accident. You know, where you know he was basically he was in a coma, fully paralyzed, yeah, and he was blowing up balloons to retrain the diaphragm. Wow. But like in his mind, he was just there was there was never an, a chance that he wasn't going to walk again. Yeah. There was never a chance he wasn't going to talk and like all these and, and he is and it's just like what you said he had this this show in mind you couldn't step yeah. off a curb but you're training legs in the gym like, i know it's it just having goals is just it it's so beneficial it was who just we are. and i couldn't push the weight so i did a light weight but i just did more and more sets and more sets and more sets and more sets till i felt that the leg was trained adequately i knew i wasn't going to build any size but if i could just keep them the same size and you know, uh, get lean through through dieting, I'd be okay. But holy, but the was grit hard. though, man. Like a lot of people would take that and it'd be like the perfect excuse to kind of pack it in, just kind of give up. You know, yeah. but you're just like, no, 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 no. Like that's not in my cards. Yeah. You know, like I'm not that type of guy. I'm not. I'm not laying on the couch. I'm going in well, there. I'm just going to increase the sets. I've dropped the weight down. I'm going to find yeah. a way to be able to make this work. Well, I've always been like, if I said I was going to do a show or I was going to do something. Once I said I was going to do it, I had to do it no matter what. So that's also a totally different process in our mind, too. Yeah. Eh? You know, where it's just like you become laser sharp. It's about that. Like, you know, it's where athletes at the end of a season or bodybuilders after show, you know, getting sick or, you know, all those things where it's like we just push through and just push through and push yeah. through. And when our body recognizes it's time or it's kind of okay to give up, yeah. it's like, okay, I, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I got you there. Yeah. But now I need a break. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's amazing exactly. how we just got that in our yeah, mind. Yeah, and it took a long time afterwards to finally get to even to, to learn how to walk because I was walking with um, my leg. My knees were always, you know, um, there was no flexibility. So I had to always throw my heels down so that my knees were like straight. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. So almost like having crutches. So like, almost like hyperextended. Or it something. had to yeah. be every time so there was no pressure on my quad. So after walking like that for a long time, how the joints feel? You they they weren't bad. They, they yeah. didn't hurt, but I had to retrain myself when my legs started to heal. I had to retrain myself to walk normal again. Yeah, because you just said all those neurological pathways. Yeah, exactly. Like, this so is I, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, when you walk normally, your quads are are used. But when you're walking the way I was walking, there's no the muscles not really being used except to move forward. You know, like I couldn't step onto a curb and push myself up. And that's more like you're just using basically like your hip flexors. For yeah, that's it. Forward, right? That's it. It's almost like having wooden legs. Yeah. Like that's what it was like. So when I started to feel better, I had to retrain myself to start walking like a normal person again. 
So your legs, they get pretty weak when you're not using that muscle because uh, my gym training was, it was, you know, just enough to get some blood into the muscle. And all I could do was kickouts, you know, after. So. You know, but it's even that though, you know, like breaking the muscle down, forcing it to repair, you oh, know, yes. like just stimulating the muscle, stimulating the nerves, you know, all those things, you know, you know, we know those things help, you yeah. know, where it's like, you know, just forcing the body to be able to repair and recover and, you know, like, and again, it's the same thing like TBI, you know, when we have a brain injury, like going out, reading, learning new tasks, trying new yeah. skills, you know, forcing the, the mind to be able to rebuild You're those synapses. Scratch. And, yeah. You know, you really need to have a strong will. Yeah. And I think that most people, when they're put in that position, you know, they do have a strong will. You know, you don't want to give up. You know, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm 30 years old. I'm not going to give up now because I still got, you know, let's say 40 more years to live. If I give up now, what am I going to do? You have to push forward. It's not like you're thinking, well, I'm 89 right now, so... You know, there's only four years left in my life or whatever the case may be, which is no excuse, to be honest, because you could be 89 and have a lot of life left. You know, and it, when you're talking, I was kind of sitting there thinking, like, it's always, you know, people who just have had some kind of, you know, like athletic background or exposed to people who have been athletics yeah. where, like, there's that, you know, like, you go real down sometimes and you come out of it. Like, there's yeah. just, there's those cyclic actions where it's not always positive and, you, know, you kind of like you know dig deep for those those bad moments that you like to lost two or three games or shitty yeah. season or you know like injury playing your sport but then you got back and had a, a good game you had a good season yeah, exactly. you, know, you got to the playoffs you know that leg injury is gone and just reset like that that goal because there's a part of us that always feels like yeah I've I've been here before yeah I've walked down this road and I've got out of it I can yeah. do this again too yeah you just don't want to give up I mean if you give up then what's next? What, what are you going to do from there? But how many people give up though? Well, you that's know, like lots. Yeah, it's crazy. But, but if you're in a position where you're injured, yeah, a lot of people do give up. But I think if you're in a position where you're hurt and let's say you have to teach yourself to walk, I think the average person will do what they can to push themselves to try to do it. Like, I don't know if you know uh, who Chris Dim is. No. So Chris Dim is an IFBB pro bodybuilder. He had a surgery on his heart, and there was a 1% chance that he could end up being paralyzed. And I can't remember what, the, what his uh, condition was before, like wh wh why the heart surgery was going on. But he ended up being paralyzed. He had a 1% chance 1%. of it happening. And it happened. And this is going back maybe 10 years now. And to this day, he is in the gym training, trying to learn how to walk. And he is like... I watched this guy on video, and he's so inspiring. This guy ain't never given up. He will be there until he's 60, you know, in the therapy, trying to walk. He says he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. It's just a matter of time. He's going to do it. And he's there every day, you know, in the therapy, in the physio, and on, with, the, with the wheelchair. He's still, you know, his arms are still big. And he's training and training and training and, uh, you know, doing whatever it takes to push himself it's just amazing what the mind can accomplish. He hasn't got there yet, obviously, but... But you think, though, like, even if he fundamentally never learns how to walk again, but all the people that have, 
like seen his story. You know, you know like that then they walked because they let yes. him like he's like eight, ten years into this struggle and he's still going, and he's I'm still going. gonna do it. And they're just he's like, still going. like, I got this, I can do this. And they started walking yeah. and they can they kind of root that process on Absolutely. being like that guy helped me with that. So you know, even if he gets one person to be able to walk in that may not have like we would never honestly know but like yes. if you just inspired that one person to push out that's a little harder and that's what the key was that that yeah. person walked again yeah it would be like it's, him walking yeah 100 percent. yeah like he has no give up in him you know he said he's gonna do it and that's it he's gonna that do kind it. of struggle could you imagine being a decade in almost oh, you know it would be able to learn how to walk and just you know, the the down moments that you must have, but then, you know, coming back out and just getting right back into therapy, like, yeah. that just must be a struggle. I think it's been at least seven years I th that I remember seeing this. But just the, you know, the 1% chance, and then it happens. And, you know, the guy's always, you, you never see it, you never hear a negative word come out of his mouth. You know, it's always like, I'm going to do it. And that's, there's, there's no conversation. That's you know, it'd be it. like when in the, the day that he walks, when he walks that first time, it's going to be like Tom Brady run right yeah. out of the back of that car going it's exactly. down. And, you know, everybody in the New England yeah. area, you know, coming down to be able to congratulate him on the 400th Super Bowl that he's won. It's you know, it's just, like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's going to be that exact same feeling. And, you know, good for him. You know, yeah, all the years of, you know, putting it in to be able to learn how to walk yeah. like on the day he does, like he'll deserve every yeah. single bit of emotion that comes along. And with I'm that. sure there's a few stories like that out there that, you know, there's a, you know, a lot of people that we know of that, or that we don't know of that are going through the same struggle. And some of them are succeeding quicker than others, but, but you know, the human will is, uh, that's why I bring them on, you know, to be able to share those stories. So that's, that's kind of been what a lot of the initial first podcast have been about is, you know, what I call, you know, like homegrown warriors, homegrown athletes, like, yeah. you know, the people who are just doing it, you know, not a lot of people know it. And when Maria was on here, it's the first time she's ever shared her story with anybody. We had a girl at our gym. I train uh, in uh, Poco at West Coast Iron, and there was a girl there. Her name was Anne, and she went through uh, some brain damage in an accident, and uh, she couldn't walk. And they told her she'd never walk again. She was from the neck down paralyzed. And she went through, she just said, no, I'm going to be walking. I'm going to be walking. So she went through tons of therapy, tons of therapy, tons of therapy. When the day came, she was walking. She came back to the doctor and she specifically wore high heels and said, look at me. And she, she went on and she competed last year in bikini and she won her class and she was Crazy. in the gym every single day. She, uh, she's a yoga instructor and it's just an incredible story. Like when I was sitting there and I was talking to her at the gym about, about the show and then uh, she started talking about her history and I was like, what? Are you serious? Yeah, it's just an, an insane, you know, and there's Absolutely. people like that and it's just, the, if you have the will to do it, uh, you know, there's a very good chance you can do it. Yeah, we need to get her on the podcast, be able to share that. Yeah, story. absolutely. All those yeah, it's just absolutely. It would be very interesting, and she's uh, she's a very nice person, also. So, and she's always got a smile on her face. You know, she, after what she went through, to be able to train for a contest, and going from yoga to training to back to cardio, you know, back to yoga, then to you know, her days were very busy always positive always just happy to you know people say this is going to be the first day of the rest of my life and most people are like 
It really isn't. They just yeah. go back to their normal self. The, the five minutes until that thought goes yeah, out is just exactly. like, where's my Snickers chocolate? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, she is living it. She is just like, she's extremely happy. And, uh, she and it's just she an inspiration show. to like, <laughs> like all of us and stuff, right? Where it's the, you know, hearing those kind of stuff. Right? Because when you're talking about like her instructing yoga, like yeah. I think from somebody who was told they couldn't walk to yeah. doing something as challenging exactly. as yoga yeah. on the legs, like that's yeah. incredible. And then doing the instructing yoga in the morning and then you're coming to the gym that in that afternoon or that evening and you're training with weights. Yeah. And you're doing squats. Stepping on stage yeah, and show all that kind of yeah. stuff. Right? And then you win. Yeah. You know, you win your class. Like, it's uh, has, it's just incredible. The new lease on life. Yeah, right? absolutely. So. Absolutely. It's uh, stuff like that. When you see stuff like that, I always tell myself, you know, um, sometimes you get down on yourself because you feel a little bit out of shape or you don't look as good as you would like to when you're like boo-hoo-hooing yourself. And then you hear a story or you read a story or you see someone, you know, on the street in, in a wheelchair or maybe their legs are broken and you're just like, you got to give your head a shake Yeah. and say, you know, I got two arms and two legs and there's nothing I can't achieve. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to put my mind to it and do it. And if I feel out of shape, really, at the end of the day, who cares? And it just because goes to show you that, you know, like our, our physical presence is really the irrelevant part behind yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. you know, we attribute so much of, like, our success by having this physical performing being, but it's really just harnessing the power of our mind and forcing ourselves to be able to do anything no matter what our resources are physically. Look at Stephen Hawking, uh, you know, as a whole another level, you know, basically just a mind. Jeez, right? I can't even, like, this guy's life expectancy was supposed to be, what, four or five years yeah. after he was diagnosed? Yeah. And he just recently passed away a year and a half ago or whatever, yeah. whatever it was. It's unbelievable. And, and, and it's completely mind, irrelevant. Didn't need a body at all. And his mind, we already know he was a genius. But, you, you, you know, it's just proof that this guy's mind was so strong. It controlled what was happening. There was no way this disease was going to take him down. Yeah. You know, he just had too much to do. And, you know, too much, el too, too many other things to think about. You know, instead of getting yeah. down on what's yeah. going on, he's like, I have literally the universe to conquer. Exactly. Like, seriously. Like, yeah. what's going on in your mind when you're conquering the I universe? I don't have time to worry about my legs. I'm, I'm contemplating black holes right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the average person who is, you know, very nimble and agile and running around, they, there's no hope. They can't begin to understand where this man's brain is going. Yeah, his athleticism is just like, you know, being nimble through like astrophysics and black holes and wormholes and this and yeah, just bouncing exactly. in ideas. I, and yeah, like it absolutely crazy. Just the stuff. fact that he was able to live an extra, all those extra, what, 60 years or whatever it was, is yeah. just mind boggling. Yeah. Power of the mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, if we could see, you know, we were talking about our our outer selves and, you know, if you have abs or you have large arms or a great butt or nice shoulders or whatever it is. So we see it, so we train it, so it looks better and better and we take care of it. If we were able to see what was going on inside our bodies by eating certain foods, imagine how healthy we would be. If eating, you know, the right the right diet for each individual and cutting out the sugars, seeing what sugar did to our body, so you cut it out and you you know alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be, excess obviously because a little bit of something is not going to do any damage, but you would continually if you ate something really healthy, 
and you start seeing changes within yourself inside, like you can visually see it, you would continue to pound back the most healthiest foods. You would extend your life by who knows how long. It'll be it'll be nice. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. But when we prioritize our mental health and our internal health yeah. as much as our our External. actual vanity, you know, like yeah. when we prioritize those things individually, you know, like thirty percent on each, you know, like yeah. that, that's going to be the key. And when when us as human beings are really going to take that huge step forward, because I, we'll all be thinking more clearly, we'll yeah. be functioning better, you yeah. know, we'll be navigating life and accelerating, oh, yeah, accomplishing sure. way more, you know. But like right now, it's like when you have people getting fat sucked out of their stomach and put in their ass, and that's uh, okay. Like I know, and this is normal in some countries. Yeah. Well, and this over here, just like we applaud that, and it's just yeah. like. But your fat injected ass may look nice in pants, but you don't even want to look at it without pants on. <laughs> you know, know, like, but like this is what, because so like, but internally messed up, you know, yeah. emotionally, you know, like cognitively messed up, but yeah. like not allocating the same amount of resources to other aspects of the body that we should. Yeah. And that, that's a real broken tool that we all have right now like oh, 100%. In, you know, in Westernized culture, right? 100%. And it's, it's, and it's not only Western culture. I think it's all over the planet. You know what I mean? The more that we put our foot down around the planet, like we, we definitely affect some things. Oh, going yeah. On. You know, like look at a, a lot of countries in the world that are still just trying to live like more traditional to their roots and how that they've lived all these years. You know, like when Veronica was on, you know, yeah. talking about like, you know, Korean people have never changed the way they've ate. They've always lived yeah. their life by a certain code. You know, like they just have a lot less of the issues that we have here where it's just like, you know, we need to kind of gravitate more back to the, the natural, the, you know, close to 100%. home. 100%. Like, you know, even just breastfeeding. Yeah. Like I was breastfed as a child. And I think if the farther you go back to the 70s and uh, the 60s and 50s, I think that most children were breastfed, breastfed because that's just the way it was. And science has shown us now that the first seven days of breastfeeding, the colostra, is specific to the immune system to help keep you strong. And I think, um, I, I don't know the statistics, but I, I, I would assume that, you know, if nowadays there's probably less breastfeeding going on than there was before and uh, a slight correlation to uh, children's uh, illnesses. Yeah. Because oh, they don't have the strong immune systems. Uh, and even in vaginal births too, right? You yeah. Know, like how those things just being coated in that bacteria, do they be able to help their immune system and yeah. set them up better? I was, that's how I was born too, uh, the natural way. And I, I actually, I talked to my mother a couple months ago and I asked her, I said, uh, how many vaccinations did I have? I think I had three mm -hmm. going back to 1970. And I mean, that's a whole other topic with the, yep. the vaccinations. Those are hot. Those are hot. Those are really hot <laughs> right now. I'm just glad that I don't have a, a child where I have to do the research because I would definitely research as much as I can because there's a lot of anti-vaxxers. And, uh, you know, the pro-vaxxer vaccinators. And uh, I'm hearing good points on both sides. My only question is, how come, why is there like, I don't know, 60, 60 to 70 vaccinations for a child? It seems so excessive to me. I had three and I didn't have any problems. What I, what I see the problem being here is it's the foundation of distrust in big pharma, right? You know, like, yeah. be, like it, it's there, like it, it's seeded in us because we've been steered down so many bad directions. Yeah. Even the 
good paths that we should be following yeah. become questionable. Yeah. It's just like we've been lied to so much. Like we, yeah. we know it's like it's, it's no secret anymore. Like I know. We've been lied to for so many years in so many different yeah. areas and it's affected our health, our our physical health, our internal health, and our, our you know, our our mental health that we you we should question now the problem is is like i can imagine how frustrating it is for some healthcare professionals saying like no look we need to do this one but these other 15 are bad like yes. i know i told you these other 15 you know, things are, yeah, are good yeah. all these years because i believe that shit too at one point yeah. in time but i'm telling you it's like same thing with like cbd and thc right now yeah you know this shit was bad it's I, horrible you know it's the what? devil you it's demonized like, it for brain. so long and, like, and now no, you're no, on no. board yeah you know, you know when. Uh, how do you believe? How do you believe the government has our best interest in mind if they're going to take something away from us that was good and healthy and we should have been consuming yeah, it all these years? Yeah. Even the you know research now with like kids could even be consuming sure. CBD products and stuff and it'd be totally Absolutely. safe and fine for them. And but again, we've been indoctrinated to think that it's bad. So how do you have that trust? So yeah. like, do you trust them? Like the government, they say like, this is good or we have the regulations in mind and we've done all the research and we're going to get these people to be able to give us the best information. You can't trust that system mm -hmm. anymore. It's no different than, you know, in the beginning when people started using anabolics, PEDs and the powers that be said, they don't work. So don't use them. They don't work because they want to, people to stop using them well they did work that's why people were using them so then they changed the, the argument well it's very very unhealthy not good for you well you already lied to us on one front so why do you expect us to believe you now you know what I mean especially when it was so early in the game when there was no no one had seen any side effects yet there was no really research done on it you know what I mean so it, it, if you're gonna lie to us in the beginning it's really hard for us to start trusting you in the end it doesn't matter what the topic is it could be anything you know it well, and it, isn't it true like I, i'm sure that i'm probably getting this distorted a little bit but that cocaine was originally invented by a dentist for his local anesthetic yeah and then yeah. so it's like you know in practical application there's like a lot of things that can be used for benefit you know like anabolics and stuff it just got to be the point where people were massively abusing them if you abuse anything it's wrong and you know i tell this people all the time i realize how controversial it is but i'm like if you did heroin once a year it probably wouldn't be bad no realistically absolutely. you know yeah. but again if you did heroin every day shit's probably gonna be bad yeah. you know like if things you, are gonna come off the advil right? every single day yeah the inflammation you know, that you're gonna yeah. get and your from kidneys absolutely. will take a beating yeah you know stuff like advil and tylenol tylenol and those um nsaids they cause a disruption in your gut flora and because of that it triggers a disruption in your in your neurology and your brain uh, pathways which in the long term will push you towards um dementia yeah you know and i'm not saying don't, if you have a headache don't take advil but if you're gonna abuse but why are you getting the headache though again it goes back to the why are you getting the headache in the first place so taking the advil is just gonna mask the what yeah. the actual problem is right you know yeah. why not do a little investigation is it a hypertension headache is yeah, it a exactly. dehydration headache is it you know a light sensitivity headache? yeah yeah, is yeah. It, you know anything along those lines you know like what what's actually the reason behind it versus yeah. just you know popping the advil and stuff right so exactly yeah exactly but the, if you anything in small you know having a beer here and there is one thing even a glass of wine or even a shot of tequila but when you start having the same thing over and over and over and over again you know that's where you're going to start running into problems down the road yeah you know absolutely. it's no different than eating cake 
Oh you yeah, know, having, a piece, <laughs> having a piece of cake, yeah, and there's no problems having cake. But if you're gonna have cake every single day, yeah, you're gonna run into problems. Or some form of cake every day, cookies, cake, yeah, chocolate, exactly. Like, that's always the problem. Yeah, right? mass amounts of sugar. Yeah, you know? so, but um, I think we should probably wrap her up here. I, I I really feel like that we could just sit here six hours yeah. from now, but <laughs> it's the first time I've ever done over two hours. Oh, honestly. two hours? Wow. Yeah, I, I can't believe how fast the time went by. You know, all, some of these podcasts that are like two, three hours long, I'm like, how in the hell do they find you're something to talk to, about? But you're it's, gonna have uh, to do some fancy editing. <laughs> no, man, you know, just kind of the way just people can tune in out. They can fast forward all they want, yeah. but uh, yeah, it just. You know, it, it was great talking to you, and I just, I, I just love, you know, a couple guys sitting around yeah, just talking absolutely. some shop, and you know, and again, the the foundation of it, like neither one of us going to school for us, but just passion for yeah. both of us. Well, thanks for having me. It was fantastic. Awesome. Thanks, brother.